1: The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily's fantasy football contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the promo code THPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 years minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See draftkings.com/sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsibility gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text TN Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777. Or visit ccpg.org chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Want to go pretty boy?
0: Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free.
1: The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the 4th Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 181 of the big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. everybody doing out there? Sorry for the delay, folks. A little technical difficulty on this end. Um, normally they come out very early Wednesday morning, but uh, I'm coming to you very late Wednesday night. Um, I recorded this episode. Well, first we'll start. It's a... Uh, This is kind of a, uh, it's a new series I'm trying. Um, it's basically, uh, well, I went on social media and I was asking for, like, names of the series. Um, basically, I'm, I'm taking a a year from a certain league. Um, and today with, uh, Jay, uh, we covered the 2005-2006 season of the United Hockey League. Basically, we just go through the league, talk about all the teams, the guys, you know, leading score, the fighters, and I mean, obviously, it's fight-heavy, it's the fourth-line boys, but, you know, if something unique happened in the league, or, you know, something goofy happened, or whatever, we talk about it, and it's basically just a, it's a timeline piece, Um and I kind of asked, like, does anybody have any names, and kind of like the history of violence was there, and violence this, and punching that, and old, you know, and it was kind of, yeah, I mean, it is, but I'm kind of trying to... T- not I'm taking the violence out of it. That's not the right way to put it. But I'm like ah, we'll just kind of try to I, like I was thinking like even just back in time or frozen in time or something like that. So basically, we came up. I don't know. I I kind of came up with season ticket. That is sort of the what we're gonna what I'm gonna call this. And um, I was telling Jay off. I think I might have said it when we were doing the show too. But it, it, I had it in my head what I want to do. How I'm interpreting it might be. Or how I'm uh, doing it is might be a little different than what was in my head. But like I said, this is my, the first attempt at it. I mean, uh, you know, I have a couple players in mind. It's also a, it's a good chance to get guys that I've had on the show. Like I said, I had them on to do an interview. Then I had them back to do the five toughest opponents. And like there's some guys I just enjoy talking to. And they're fun to talk to. And I probably have more fun talking to them off the air than like doing the show. But it's another, it's basically just another excuse to get them on the show and, and we'll take a season out of their career, whether it be a junior year or whatever. And, um, so it might be, it'll be a unique, it'll be a different type of show when it's a player. Um, obviously they could give us a lot more details on their own team, clearly, or what happened in their games, but, uh, rather than other teams, but they know guys on other teams and they hear stuff and whatever. So I think maybe when I get a player to do, uh, an episode of the series, it'll, it'll kind of be a different look as well from a fan. Um, and Jay, of course, was a season ticket holder of Quad City in the 05 year and traveled to every rink but two of the 14 in the league. So, you know, we just kind of talk with the different barns and the fans and blah, 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 And, like I said, it's just a, it's a history piece from 5 06, United League. And uh, I don't know, I plan on doing a few of these sporadically. I mean, I'm not, oh, every week I'm doing these. I'm like, no, but it'll be sporadic. Um, but it's just, it's something, like I said, you can only interview so many people and do the five toughest opponents so many times or do the list episodes so many times. It's just, it's something else to do. And like I said, I'm doing two shows a week of original content it's you know I'm trying here, guys, to to at least give you guys listeners something different. And I mean, if you listen to a couple of them, I hope you give them a try. And if and if you listen to a couple and it's like, eh, this kind of sucks, okay. When you see it come up, then don't listen or whatever, and just listen to the like. I'm just still going to do fight interviews and five toughest and rant episodes and all that. It's just another what is it? Arrow in the quiver? How's that? <laughs> no, it's it's just another kind of thing to to try out, and like I said, it's uh you know when you're doing two three hours of original content a week, um, like like I said, right? There's a, um, you know, Tim and I joked about it on on social media. There's only so many lists you can do, right? And um, you know, and I like doing the lists; they're fun and everything. But you know, um, and it's not like you're doing the same list, but it's like you know, it's just it's something different to try out. And like I said, if if I'll, I'll Download the episode, folks, so I know. But if, like, the downloads aren't there and it just looks like it's sort of dying on the vine, then I won't do them anymore. Um, you know, I don't think they're that. Like, I, I had a real fun time. I think you guys will really enjoy listening to this one. Um, especially if you're a United Hockey League fan and you were around at that time, That'll it'll really bring back some memories for you. Um, like I said, it was fun for me to listen to J. because, I don't know, I wasn't... I wasn't down with the United Hockey League in 2005. I wasn't going to games in, in Elmira. So, it's like I this I mean, I knew some of the guys in the league obviously, but there there really isn't a lot of footage from the United League and uh so to get a first-hand account was was cool and it was educational for me. And as a fight fan, it's a piece of history and I enjoy it. And like I said, if I can, you know, as we go on, I'm sure I'll kind of you know, redefine it a little bit or maybe make it a little tighter parameters or ask this certain question or, or whatever. And, um, you know, and, and I think guess as well, I mean, whether it be a player or a fan from that time period, some might have more interesting stories than others. I, you know, who knows? It's up to the person telling it really, but I don't know. I think it's, a um, this is a cool concept. And, uh, you know, and like I said, it's, it's for you guys. And if, if it's not doing well and no one really get, or I'm getting a bunch of, like, this sucks, man. And it's like, okay, well, then it just won't do them anymore. It's not the end of the world, right? But, uh, I think it's kind of cool. Like I said, trying, trying something different, folks. Like I said, it'll still be obviously fight heavy and we'll talk about all the tough guys that were in the league at that time and, and what have you. Um, but, you know, if something else happened to league or a funny story or whatever, we'll talk about that. This one's pretty interesting. We got fucking enema superheroes and a murderer. So yeah, exactly. So it, it'll, you know, a little bit of everything, but, uh, anyway, I think you guys will dig this, but, uh, you know, before we, I won't talk too long. Cause Jay and I talked for a long time yesterday, had a few audio issues, man, this was a, this is a, a endurance test. This, uh, this one. And I, I want to thank Jay for coming on. This is, I think the third or fourth time on the show. And, uh, no, I really appreciate him taking the time out and he's a great guest. Like I said, he comes prepared. He had notes and stuff and thought about it and read up and like cause, I mean you're going back 16, 17 years, right? So, got to jog the memory a little bit. So, no, he did great and uh, I had a lot of fun. And I think you guys I think you guys will really dig this. I think it's a fun little concept and it's something different. Like I said, it's not I'm not going to be doing it every week or anything, but it's like I said, it's another it's another uh, kind of series to throw out and uh, just uh, do something different. But uh yeah, like I said, guys, I remember the Hockey Podcast Network. There's over 50 shows in the network. All the NHL teams are represented. Whatever team you're a fan of, there's a show for you. Oh, I'm sure the Pittsburgh and the Boston shows will be fired up here this week. So uh, cause apparently that was the most heinous hockey crime ever. So check those shows out. Uh, but uh, whatever team you're a fan of, there's a show for you. For my off-network friends, of course, we got got uh, Golden Salen, old, uh, old part-time Oli down there at 5 for Fighting Podcast uh, down in uh, Florida for the six pack coverage network. Um, he is busy at work. I know he worked a, like a 13 hour day, you know, wow. Hey, when you, when you go weeks at a time without working, it's going to catch up to you. So, uh, yeah, he's back working and, uh, uh, I, I believe he has a guest either tonight or tomorrow. I, I know they've been having trouble kind of connecting, but I think he's got something, but, uh, uh, like I said, he's got a few, so I think he's coming out with a solo episode tonight or tomorrow. I think he's going to be ranting about the Marchant thing. Um, but yeah, but check out Alex's back catalogue. Bia by Rob Ray, tremendous. Um, Yeah, he does a great job. He also has a YouTube channel, Five for Fighting YouTube channel. Look at us, we're all coming at you with YouTube channels. But if you're into, say, East Coast League hockey fights. Say it quietly because you don't want the East Coast League to hear. But uh, if you uh, want to check it out, definitely subscribe to his channel. Give it a watch. I was—I actually hit play all the other night when I was lying on the couch at about two thirty in the morning and dozed off to the the smooth, silky sounds of East Coast League hockey. But yeah, check out his YouTube channel. Uh, bang up job, five for fighting. And then, of course, we got Gary Luzzillo, Broadway Joe Lizzo, uh out there working at uh, MSG, world's most famous arena. Uh, Joe just released an episode. Why do we eat we our own? And it's uh, you know it's basically Islander cry, Islander fans crying and bitching episode from a New York Ranger fan perspective. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. That's another. I shouldn't say that out loud either. But uh, you know, pot fan sucks. But Joel and Joel Lazito, a lifetime New York Islander uh, fan in all seriousness. Coliseum Chronicles. Uh, it is an Islander Enforcer based podcast. Um, again, tremendous back catalog: Fakoda, Dean Ewan, Strudwig, Asham, Bolton. He's interviewed them all, and uh, definitely give his back catalog a, a listen. Um, he hasn't had a chance to interview anybody uh, lately, but I know he's setting one up because he was looking for fight cards. Uh, speaking of which, I got to look that up for you, Joe. Um, but uh, yeah, he does. He has a kind of a rant episode where he. Uh, Shits on Islander. Anytime you're shitting on hockey fans, I am completely on board with it. And uh, Joe Joe does a good job. Joe, in his own way, Joe doesn't sort of rant and rave like I do. It's very monotone, but it's to the point. It's cut. He cuts quick, like a samurai, like just like a Ginsu knife, <laughs> right? Remember that? Just right through tin can, like nothing. That's Joe, right through that friggin' tuna can before it uh, in the break room, just <laughs> straight through. Yeah. Me, I sort of beat around the bush and whatever. And, you know, I, I'm like, I kill you with a thousand slashes kind of guy. Yeah, Joe's one slash. But, uh, what am I talking about? I don't know. But, yes, Coliseum Chronicles. Check it out. Give it a Lazito. All right, guys. Well, how about we get into this? Um, I will say, coming up, well, this Sunday I'll be ranting and raving about whatever. And then, uh... I'm actually interviewing a cat tomorrow. Again, I won't say names in case it doesn't work out, but we've been planning this for a few days. Um, I think you guys will, you'll all know who he is. You'll dig it. Um, I'm talking to a few fellow fight fans about doing some interviews. Uh, like I said, I was talking to Dave about the senior stuff, and uh, I got another cat, Andrew. I think we're going to, we, We've. I've talked a long time back and forth with him, um, get something on here. Um, cause what's going to, and I'm hopefully have another player t- next week. Uh, because on the 20th here, and no, a Sunday, next Sunday, I'm leaving for Las Vegas for 10 days, but I do not want to leave you guys hanging. And like a good teammate, I'm not going to. So I'm going to get shit done here. That I already told the wife the next few days, I'm going to be down here till burning all the can, the candle. What is it? Burning the late night, oil, burning the late night oil, a candle at both ends, whatever, uh, midnight oil that, um, To try to get uh, audio in the can, so to speak, and then I could because I could schedule it ahead of time, and I will schedule it so when I'm gone, they will just magically appear in your feed from from the powers of editing. So I will be in Las Vegas, probably drunk playing uh, you know video poker somewhere in the corner, and uh, you will be listening to the sweet and melodic sounds of my voice, even though I'm not here. Something like that. But so I'm hoping to kind of get out in front of it here and get some, and get some uh, get some audio recorded early so uh, I can because uh, what it'll be like three shows I'll be gone for so uh, hopefully <coughs> I will have something in place. So you guys will if I hadn't even said I was going to Las Vegas, you wouldn't even know I was gone. Actually, that's not true because I'll probably be tweeting and Facebooking from from Vegas and ranting and raving about a few things. But uh, no, that'll be uh, next week. So yes. So coming up here, I've got a few shows for you. Don't you worry. There'll be something here. But um, okay, guys. uh, Like I always say, whatever platform you're listening to this, if you could rate and review my show, it helps me out in the searches. Um, You're there anyway. It would really help old Darren out. I always say, it's download my episodes if you could, please. I need to get paid. Hey, I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to come back broke. So I need all the money I can get. And if you download it, it's the the only way I get paid. I get paid by the download. So that helps me out. But, uh, I'd appreciate it. Plus, but in all seriousness, I can see it there. It sees the the demographics of the, you can just see who's all listening and what's working, what's not working and that type of thing. So, analytics, if you will. And, uh, uh, if you're crazy enough to be on social media, give me a follow, uh, Fourth Line Voice on Twitter as well as on Facebook. And, uh, again, my YouTube channel, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube, I have over 2,700 videos from, uh. Junior to pro, whatever league you're looking for, just type it into the search engine. Boom, boom, boom. I got it. Everything sorted. It'll come right up. I just put some older OHL stuff on, so go give that a go. Give that a look. See, but uh, I think you guys will dig it, and you go down that rabbit hole. Go to my channel and hit on your smart TV and hit play all. Yeah, you you'll be able to sit for a week watching that stuff. But uh, all right, guys, I'll get out of here. I hope you enjoy this new series called Season Ticket. And today, we, Jay and I are looking at the 2005. 2006 season in the United Hockey League, and we will talk to you guys on Sunday. Thanks, everybody. All right, folks. Welcome to the Fourth Line Voice. Uh, it's a new series here. I think we're going to call it. Uh, what what is the name we arrived on? Now I can't even remember. Season ticket. I think. Yep. Was that it? Season ticket. Yeah. Season yep. ticket. Se- season ticket. All right, and what? So what the the basis of this is is uh basically I'm going to take a we'll take a year from a certain season and a certain league. And we'll basically just discuss it. We'll discuss all the teams and maybe what the happenings and, and all that type of thing. So the first installment of this series, I figured I'll get Jay from Iowa on here. And we're going to talk some old United Hockey League. So the 2005-2006 season is what we're breaking down. Jay, how's it going tonight? Not too bad, Darren. How, was, uh, how are things up north? Very good, very good. Uh, well, thank you for uh, participating here in the, uh, in the very first uh, episode one. I don't know, we'll see how this goes. It might be episode 1 and only one, but we'll see. Well, I appreciate you having me on. There there's, at least there's nowhere to go but up from here. Yep.
2: I'm waiting on my uh, fourth line voice, little beanie hat,
1: in the mail. This is this is third time three times, so Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I got to get Yeah, I got to get you some merch or something only. Yeah. But I figured you the you I asked you what year you wanted to do. You said this one 0506. Um and, of course, you are in Quad City as a season ticket holder to the Mallards. And uh, you've uh, – well, well, just in general, how long have you been uh, going to the Mallard games? Well, I've – I
2: my first ever in-person hockey game was a Mallards game in 95. And then pretty much on and off as a season ticket holder since then. Um, saw an awful lot of hockey
1: down here. Yeah. And then, well, and then you were saying in this year, this the year that we're talking about here, oh five oh six, that we're going to talk about. You actually went on the road to a bunch of games. Yep, this, uh, I, you know, I was, I was fortunate to have, you know, my dad is a big a big
2: fan as well. Have some really good friends that were big fans. That season, we made it to every arena aside from two, so twelve of the fourteen arenas we made it to that year.
1: All right, well, we're gonna well, let's break this down. So. All right. Well, so the United League at oh five oh six was a fourteen team league, like you said. Um, it's in th- basic in three divisions: the Central, the East, and the West. Um, this was the year that the Kalamazoo Wings won the championship. They beat the Danbury Trashers in the final, um, which I didn't realize. Actually, Quad City, you guys took Danbury to seven games in round one. Yes, and yes, indeed. And what's what's funny is. Uh, Quad City actually
2: had a three to, it was a two, three, two format. And Quad City actually had a three games to two lead going back to Danbury, uh, for Game six and seven. And it's, we, I, I talked to a couple players on the team, and one of the guys on the team said after the game seven loss, the ref for game seven come to him and said, there's, there's no way you guys were going to win this game regardless of what happened there was there was no way you guys were going to win this game so it actually kind of surprised me that Kalamazoo managed to knock off Danbury in the finals that year which some friends and I went up to one of those games in the finals in Kalamazoo as a matter of fact
1: well all right well that's interesting well we'll we'll get into it here Well, we'll start at home with Quad City of course they were uh you know and then this in this uh in the United League at that time you played 76 games um Hey, actually, Quad City, not you know, forty-one and twenty-seven. The Colonel, Brian Curran's the coach. Um, of course, legendary, you know, NHL tough guy, and he bounced around. Of course, there's some stories of the Colonel out there. Um, how are, did you have any interactions with Curran, and how were they? I did. I talked. I talked to him a handful of times, and he was
2: he was a guy who wouldn't go and talk to a lot of fans. Um, but I'd always ask him about you know about stuff I didn't know about. I wouldn't ask him about about the team he coached I would ask you know oh, what happens when you were you know in Pittsburgh or what happens when you what happened when you were coaching in Columbus and he he'd love talking about those those old days but man he was he was definitely a polarizing coach there was guys who loved playing for him and far more guys that did not enjoy playing for him at all
1: yeah well yeah exactly and that's kind of the yeah that's sort of the the vibe I've gotten over the years so But, uh, well, like I said, not a bad year. Um, Pretty tough division. But, uh, yeah, like we said, we are kind of, when I looked at the Quad City uh, roster, I was, uh, well, initially, folks, I said to Jay, I said, we're going to have him on. Okay, what, like, I didn't know. I'm like, what year do you want to do? And right away, you said, oh, five, oh, six. I was like, oh, okay. So when I started to do the research uh, and I looked at the Quad City roster, I was actually surprised because normally Quad City had a fairly tough team. This year, not so much. Right, yeah, and it's when you asked
2: me, the, I kind of went back and forth. I think 05-06 is probably pretty much peak UHL where you have a lot of guys that can score points, and those guys are also going to put up 100, 150 penalty minutes. And unfortunately, it was a pretty down year for toughness in, in Quad City. I don't know why like looking back on some of Curran's old teams, he he had some stacked teams. Yep. But there there was a few guys, um, to start the year, he played a single game. I know he went on to have put up some pretty big numbers in DLNAH. I think he played with uh Trois Rivier for a year, had pretty decent numbers, but uh Steel Neil Basilico started the year first first game home opener and never played another game for the for the Mallards.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then uh yeah, well like I said, right? There's there was a few guys that uh, you know, we'll just kind of g- go through the the list, but um one guy that you had, uh, you know, he came from Richmond was uh, and, uh speaking of the LMAH, was Cody Dusset. Oh, Duset. He actually he actually started in the UHL here in Quad City and
2: then they shipped him to Richmond. Okay. He came in he okay, came yeah. in after Pasilico left actually took the same jersey that basilico wore. Number ten just pulled basilico off, put du set on the back. But man, for a young kid, that like, he was energy on the ice. He could throw with frigging anybody. He had uh, a couple a couple really memorable scraps both in Quad City. Um, he fought Steve mackway from Flint, and I'll never forget they were fighting in the corner nearest to me. And in the middle of the middle of the fight. They're both throwing some shots, and then Doucette stops and blows Macway a kiss in the middle of the fight, and McAway just goes fucking nuts, Try to get back at him, and, and Doucette was laughing about it. It always made me chuckle. But there was uh, there was a tough guy who played in Missouri that year, um, Brad McMillan, who was pretty much as tough as they came. But here in, in Quad City, they uh, they dropped, dropped the gloves, dropped the helmets, skated out to center ice, and they were going back and forth. The fight's actually on YouTube. Uh, Cody Doucette, Brad McMillan, going back and forth about 30 seconds, and then McMillan reaches back from fucking two states away and lands an absolute bomb right on Doucette's temple, knocks him out cold. He was out before he hit the ice, hit his face on the ice, split his nose wide open. McMillan either he hurt his hand. I don't, I don't know if he broke his hand or not, but he missed a couple, at least a couple games after there. But, man, that was one of the hardest shots I ever saw a guy land.
1: Yeah, well, there's uh, – yeah, I think I know which fight you're talking about, too. Um, yeah, McMillan. Yeah, he was on my notes here. But, uh, yeah, Doucette, I was – yeah, like you said, young guy, 20 years old, right out of the queue. Um, yeah, I was a big fan of Doucette. Um, well, another guy that uh, – that would you know speaking of the Quebec league or well the Quebec junior league and he was definitely the noticed as the kingpin of that league he uh he ended up uh with some time in in quad city as well but was uh, of course Jonathan the hammer Trombley. Well, yeah then oh there was there was so much hype for for
2: Trombley coming in he started the year in Kalamazoo. um he had a hell of a fight with Pierre-Luc Leblanc in well, I guess we'll will get to that later in that yeah But he was a guy, you know. He was he was not the greatest skater out there, but there was not a lot of guys who would come anywhere near him on the ice. He got a, an awful lot of room out there, and it's I think one of the the issues the Mallards had is you know they had you know that huge nuclear weapon out there that would kind of keep a lot of the other guys in line, so why bother having somebody else who's going to go out there and bring some energy to the team? But uh, up in Flint, near the end of the season, Flint had a, a, a guy named Chad Wilcox, yep. who he put up. I think he he played a little bit in the age, Um but, you know They they dropped the gloves right off the face off, squared off at center ice. And I don't know if, if Wilcox didn't realize that the hammer was a lefty, but there was – Three just monster left hands, and, and and Mr. Wilcox took a seat, but I I couldn't imagine having the stones to drop the gloves with that guy, with that he I think they said two two and a half years in the queue. He didn't lose a fight.
1: No. Yeah, his his rep was massive in the queue. Well, it's funny, like you said about LeBlanc. I'm sure him and LeBlanc probably fought in the Quebec League because they were about the same. I think I think LeBlanc might be a year younger. But I'm pretty sure they probably fought in Quebec, in junior for sure. It's probably, but um, yeah, I'd like
2: to actually that that fight is actually on YouTube as well. When uh, Trombley was with Kalamazoo, and LeBlanc was with Adirondack. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a it's a good scrap. Trombley, I, I gotta say LeBlanc definitely, in my opinion, had the edge. For the first time I saw was Trombley actually got a seatbelt in him and just kind of hung on and waited till the end
1: of the scrap. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, he was a bad dude. Well, you had a couple, like I said. Yeah, well, Michael Lenick was there as well. Yep, Oh Lenick
2: was here. And he was
1: a fun, a fun guy to watch. You know, go out there,
2: throw the body all the time. We had him. I think, I think they shipped him to Missouri. Yep, it might have been for Frank Littlejohn, who came up here, and you know, Frank Littlejohn was always entertaining. But he just, he, I know he didn't get along well with Brian Curran, and he was pretty quiet when he was here in in Quad City, and they actually, Little John and Curran, got into it on the bus after the loss at Danbury in the playoffs, and from reports had to be kept apart on the bus coming back to Quad City.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they, um, well, and I was going to say, well, and that's the thing, for you being around the United League, I mean, Little John was a big name in that league. Oh, for for years, yeah. Because he
2: could put, he he was like the perfect UHL player. Yeah. Because he'd put up, you know, three hundred penalty minutes, but he could also score twenty goals.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, he once that switch flipped, like he would go nuts on the ice. No, entertaining absolutely. as hell. Absolutely. Well, what's uh, I was going to ask the well, and here in Quad City, the uh, the leading scorer was Chad Bullard. Yeah, he was. I, I tell you what, he was. What's funny is uh,
2: he put up over a hundred pems uh, pim that year.
0: Yeah,
2: and in the paper, Curran came out and called him the hidden hammer. Said, "Oh, you know, he's he's a really tough guy. Will fight anybody, but he doesn't have to because Trombley was on the team, and Willard. I do not remember who it was because I was not at the game, but it was in Port Huron. Um, oh, that's gonna bug me." It might have been, I think it was Steve Dix in Port Huron. Either Steve Dix or Ryan Gillis just put, put the beats to Woolard. And you didn't hear a whole lot more about the hidden hammer anymore after that, but he had just a monster slap shot. Yeah, I think he put up what? Why? 44? 100, 100, 100, yeah, 44 goals in 123 minutes. Yeah. Him isn't too shabby that year.
1: No. No, actually, I just noticed a guy, you know, he, play, he played in the, in the WHL for a few years with Brandon. It's Andre Lupandon. He was, uh, I didn't know a whole lot about him
2: coming in, but he was one of those guys you could count on out there. You know, really steady defenseman would get greasy once in a while. But one of those guys that you don't you don't hear
1: too much about,
2: but is, is still going to eat up 25, 30 minutes a game.
1: Yeah. No, I was just as you were talking, I'm looking. I'm like, I know that guy. Oh yeah, Brandon. Yeah. Well, yeah.
2: There were some there were some characters on the team. Do we want to bring up the uh, the player we discussed now, or do we want to bring him up later on when he played in Elmira? Uh
1: yeah. Well, we'll talk about him in Elmira. Yeah, that'll be okay. Yeah, but um, yeah. Well, so like you said, so. If you're in Quad City, if someone says to somebody, a uh, season ticket holder in Quad City, who's your number one rival? Who are you saying? It's It was pretty much torn between Flint
2: and Rockford. Rockford, they played, you know, 15 times a year. But it seemed like every team in the league would say Flint as well, at least the teams like in the Central and West-ish, because Flint usually had those kind of hard-nosed teams with one or two big, big guys on them
1: too. Yeah. Well, yeah, over the years, yeah, the generals, yeah. But it's interesting to say Rockford, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, of course, everyone remembers the Rockford, you know, the Jason Ralph mic'd up from the Rockford uh, DVD um, and all and all that went with that. But, um, like you said, hell of a team. I think, you know, they had 105 points. They're first in the division there. Uh, coached by Steve Martinson. Um, that, le- legendary. That,
2: that's the dude I would. I would love for you or somebody to get on, just because I'm sure he has stories
1: for days. Oh, I could imagine. Well, legendary tough guy when he played, and of course he's actually. I'm always he's a hell of a coach, man. Like the success that he's had. Like I'm just looking at hot like one, two, three, four, five, six, ten. Like he's done ten championships, right? Well, he won four right. four in a row with really. Allen won four championships in a row. Jesus. All yeah, right. yes they did I was like serious like okay yeah so I mean you know I mean obviously he's like he's been in Allen for 10 years now so obviously he's fucking found his groove but I mean unbelievable coaching resume and you know uh have you had any interactions with him at all I I haven't personally I know a couple guys
2: in Rockford who had talked to him regularly and he evidently he was you know a really good guy off the ice never had a many bad words to say about too many folks, but that, you know, I, I always wanted to meet him because I, I would love to hear the stories about the old, you know, like the San Diego goals days. And back then I just never, never really had a chance to.
1: Yeah. They, um, well, yeah. And then it's, it, so not only are they at Rockford in first place, but man, they had some characters on the team this year. And, uh, I can imagine these cats were fun when they came to town. Uh one of the names will start here, of course. Twenty-seven goals led the United League in penalty minutes with four hundred and twenty-three. Was of course Robin Big Snake. That's all right. Well, sorry, folks, a little audio difficulty here, but okay. We get to Rockford, and I just uh, just asked you about uh, Robin Big Snake. What was uh, what was your what, your first impressions? And of, of course, you hear the name Robin Big Snake. You're like, what in the hell is coming? <laughs> well, that I would actually you know, seen a little bit of him
2: from his time in the dub with Vancouver, and I heard Rockford sign him. Like, oh hell yeah! Because that, yo, know, I heard a lot of stuff about him from out west, and he came and he was every every bit as tough as advertised. I mean, that's those are video game numbers. Oh yeah, I mean, four hundred twenty three penalty minutes and still damn near fifty points. Yep. But he would, you know, he would he would go out there. And he would run your best player, and then two shifts later, he'd score the game-winning goal. Yep. And it was, what I always talk about is he always wore the, like the, the silver-mirrored visor.
1: Oh, really? Okay.
2: Yep. But, yeah, he was one of many in Rockford. But, yeah, definitely, I would put him in the top five toughest in the league that year easily, if not top three. Well, so what's then, crazy about that team is I was looking at the stats. They had nine guys with over a hundred PIM. Yep. And Rob Volterra, who only played thirty eight games at eighty
1: one. Yep. I mean well, top
2: to bottom, they were they were the toughest
1: team in the league. Oh yeah. And like yeah. I mean, just looking at their, their lineup and I mean it's uh well Big Snake, I was gonna say just the name alone is a marketing dream. I mean, you know. But, um, another guy on that team, another character is Chaz Johnson. Oh,
2: that dude was like a Super Bowl on the ice. Like you, like you always talked about Garrett Hunt. He would go a hundred mile an hour and put guys, you know, damn near through the boards with his hits. And then at the same time he'd go and, you know, he'd he'd always get the crowd into it. And as as an opponent or a fan of an opposing team, you just hate him out there on the ice, but. Man, you're, that's one of those guys I, I wish he was on the team okay yeah, because he was a 100 mile an hour every damn shift and you know he could still score too he was what yeah 45 points in 66 games
1: yeah yeah
2: that's that's like i don't know how to put peak uhl stats more than that i mean 45 points and 250 penalty minutes
1: Oh yeah, no, this is like that's the league in a nutshell. Yep. Well, and then of course you have infamous Jason Ralph, who everybody remembers from the Miked Up. Um, at that time in 05-06, were you a, like aware of Ralph? Like, was he an, like annoying all the time? Oh, he was. He was that guy on the ice who, anytime he was skating
2: off his shift, he'd give somebody a you know a little poke behind the knee or you know bring bring the stick up between the between the legs and uh obviously on on YouTube, you can see him you know giving lip to willis and and Chelios, but you could see him doing that to to players every single shift he was out there. but the thing is, is is he wasn't wouldn't just run his mouth either he could back it up i mean he had over he had over two hundred penalty minutes that year too, yeah so and he would play you know first second line minutes, so I don't know how a lot of those guys just didn't go ape shoot on him hearing that you know every second or third shift him running his mouth. And he might have. I know he did. The next season, uh, Rockford won the championship the next year, and he was actually the captain of that championship team. Yeah. But yeah, I mean they had hell that year. They I, I mentioned they had Rob Volterra that year too. Yeah. He he has a fight. It's on it's on YouTube. Um, he fought a guy named Vasut from Missouri. Vasut was a you know, a bigger dude, but he wasn't wasn't a fighter and i i alec i think on alec's show he said it was his first or second game in rockford so he's like all right i gotta you know put on a show for the fans and and he beat the wheels off the soot you know eight nine ten huge shots picked them back up you gotta hand it to, to the soot i mean he hung in there tried to throw some shots back but by the end of the fight he he probably ate 20 shots and his, his head looked like he was split open with an axe. But I that was the fight where Volterra said he broke his hand and he was out for, you know, a month or two. So if he had been on that team, that's that's another guy you can you can bank having at least a hundred penalty minutes.
1: Yeah, well and then the next guy with two hundred and ninety one, he had sixteen goals is Bruce Watson.
2: Yeah, and that's that's the thing is is a lot of people will hear that name and there's you know Oh, you know, he was, he was the, you know, 10th forward guy. But, yeah, like you said, he had 16 goals, damn near 30 points, and damn near 300 penalty minutes. So, you don't put up those kind of numbers playing, you know, five minutes a game. He was out there every third shift on that third line rolling with Chaz Johnson and Robin Big Snake. Yeah.
1: Can you imagine that? Which I don't know.
2: Coming at you? It, it was... As, as a visiting fan, I didn't like to see him come over the boards. I couldn't imagine being on the ice. No, yeah, it was. That's like that's to me. That is the UHL in a snapshot. Is is those kind of guys playing? You know, every second, every third shift.
1: And yeah. it's,
2: it, that was perfect hockey, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Did you make a lot of trips up to Rockford?
2: Uh, we made a lot of trips up to Rockford. I had. I had a few buddies up there. I had more people who didn't care for me up there. Um, I still have a, a good buddy of mine named Ron Derry from Rockford. He he recently came down, had my uh 40th birthday party. Ron came down for that. Um It was one of those buildings. It's kind of odd. It's like in the middle of a city block. They called it the Big Orange Box because it was a big orange square right in the middle of the city. And the fans were hit and miss. <laughs> I remember... um I believe it was for the opening game. I went up there with a couple friends and a buddy of mine and I got a, a case of the champagne of beers, Miller high life yep. that we crushed on the way up to the arena. So we're going up the stairs and they had a like come try sample brood, fresh brewed today, Budweiser. So my buddy and I had a couple of those. And the the young lady working there said, "You know, gentlemen, they sell that right over there." But I said, "Well, why the hell are we going to buy it when you're giving it away right here?" So we go out on the concourse. My buddy puts a pair of reading glasses on. I'm going to go. I'm going to go back. She won't recognize you in my reading glasses on.
1: <laughs> I'm like,
2: like I like Brad. You're going to get some trouble tonight. But yeah, they were they were rowdy. They were good fans. They had uh, they always put a lot of money in, like the promotion of the team. So their opening video, they had the band. I think it was it wasn't Saliva. Whoever did like the Ladies and Gentlemen song, that was they had that band decked out in Ice Hogs gear for their opening video. They had all the pyro techniques and stuff. It was it was a fun building to watch a game
1: in. Now, like on um, so, what would you say? What's the attendance there like? How many people are we talking? Uh back then, I know they were getting three thousand, four thousand, easy. And many... I think
2: they're they're still in the AHL now, and I think they're still drawing pretty good to this day.
1: How many would be at a Quad City game normally? Um, attendance was kind of was kind of dropping off at that point, but there
2: was still probably probably about the same, about three or four thousand. Yeah, regularly, and like on on the big weekends, you know, they they have big promotions or they do like Jersey Auction Night was always a big night. You'd get seven thousand fans in there. It was, you know, Quad City. It's it's still a great place to watch a hockey game, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but well, they had they had a lot more seats to fill than most of those arenas, too.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the names that's on this on Rockford that he only played the 13 games, of course, the infamous. Well, thir- <laughs> 13 games, he had 11 points too, uh, and 55 minutes of penalties. It was of course Billy Tibbets. Um, did you get a chance to see him in the United League?
2: I went up there for one game. Quad City was, I think they were down south. So, obviously, you hear all the stories about Billy Tibbetts. And I don't remember who they were playing. I want to say it was Kalamazoo. Um, Tibbetts got a misconduct for running his mouth, like, right away. And got kicked out. Like, "Well, well, shit, I just drove, you know, an hour and a half to watch this. And he got kicked out of the game. But I know he there. There was not many fans that enjoyed his time up there. No. And I, I guess that kind of goes
1: with the territory when you bring in Billy Tibbets. Wow, just he's just one of those guys, right? But just what an amazing talent! But he just could not keep it together. But just unbelievable. Yeah, that's. I kind
2: of in in a similar you know he obviously if if he hadn't had the issues he had. As a, as a younger man, it would be really interesting to see where his career would have taken him. Because I'm sure that followed him for his entire career. But yeah, oh, he, yeah. he never was able to keep it together.
1: No, I, I don't... I, he played in the... He was playing in the Federal League for a while. Yep. Yeah. But you even, like, you look at his stats, and in the American Hockey League, he was a point-a-game guy. You know, and it's just like, even... Guy spends four years in jail... And then comes out and plays in Wilkesbury and gets thirty eight points in thirty-eight games. And with hundred and eighty five minutes of penalties. You know, it's like and he plays twenty nine games in the NHL.
2: Yeah. Yeah, after coming out of prison for
1: four years. Yeah. Like I mean that's like that's that's some kind of stuff you'd see in like a Sunday afternoon movie. Yeah. And it's just but, you know, it's just unbelievable. But uh yeah, I mean I um if, folks, if you want to hear a few Billy Tibbets stories, you should go back and listen to my Adam Huxley interview. Huxley played with him in Las Vegas, and he has a couple Tibbets stories. But I think I think everybody that plays with Tibbets has a few Tibbets stories. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I,
2: I I always enjoyed my time in Rockford. You know, as as a visiting fan, you expect to get a little bit of back and forth. And at the end of the day, for the most part, it's all in good fun. And the folks in Rockford were always really.
1: Like, you made it very aware that you were from Quad City? Yeah, there was no
2: – there wasn't any really hiding that fact. Because usually, especially with Rockford, we'd always go, you know, four, five, six, eight people. And it was it was a pretty rowdy bunch.
1: Well, another team that's in that division, of course, is like a legendary minor league town, of course, is Fort Wayne. And the Fort Wayne Comets, legendary um, – franchise been in United League the IHL all that stuff um, I've always heard like how 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 wild and crazy it is in Fort Wayne like in terms of like how they support the team and everything obviously you've been to Fort Wayne what was that what's that barn like that was that's that's aside from aside from one other arena
2: that's probably the worst fan experience I've ever had that's the only time I had to get the police involved. Was with the fans in Fort Wayne, and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to judge a city based on just a few bad fans. But usually, it was it was pretty rough as a visiting fan there. But they would always they'd get five thousand a night easy. Yeah, and you know, it, it wasn't anything to go there on a weekend and have eight thousand fans there, and they were always loud. And they they usually had a pretty. It was kind of a down year. Kind of, kind of like here in Quad City, it was kind of a down year for tough guys and for the Comets that year. But they they were still – it was intimidating as a visiting fan going in there just because there's that many people. But they did have a guy who – I know there's stories about him from playing out west is Lance Galbraith. Yep. And that was a guy on the ice who, kind of similar to Ralph, is he, was, he skated fast and his mouth was even faster. But he was he was top of nails. He was kind of a, a not a not a big dude, but he'd throw his body around and, and he'd drop the gloves with damn near anybody.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, solid player, like you say, forty twenty three goals, you know, two hundred and fifty five minutes. I remember from the Ontario Hockey League. Um yeah, he played for a long time. Uh Lance, answer your DMs trying to get you on the show. Um, but uh yeah, he uh yeah, he bounced around, played a long time. Another guy on that team uh, was a Western League guy, uh, Jordy Ryan Jordy.
2: That was a guy who I know. He, I think he played in Flint that year as well. That's a, like, where, yeah, um, that was a dude who had a huge rep come out of the WHL. Yep. and I know you and I have spoken about that before. Um, like he was a really steady defenseman, tough dude, but he didn't like he didn't. Seemed like much of an enforcer when he was there But he was still a damn good defenseman and When he did go You could tell he was thrown with bad intent
1: Yeah he's a big dude um, I think at that like he was a Sabre pick and whatever and I think at that point Having gone through hockey's filtering System I think once he got down to the United League it was just like what am I doing Like I, I think He just wasn't fighting anymore Because I know, I know old Uh Old Scott I know from Fort Wayne, I know you're out there listening. And I mean, I know he can't stand Jordy. He always oh, gets mad whenever I bring him <laughs> up. But he's the same thing, right? He was just because he, they had heard the big rep. You've seen some of the videos. And it's like him and Grant McNeil and Colt Moore going toe to toe in the Western League. And like, holy shit, we're getting that guy. And then, yeah, they said it was sort of like, you know, sort of the, the air out of the balloon. It was kind of, ugh, that's it. You know, he'd really, he said, didn't play bad, but just didn't, you know, just wasn't really. Into it Right He didn't Didn't bring Bring that same Kind of For lack of a better word Violence He didn't bring that Violence that He was known for In the dub Exactly And uh Well even Like I know he had Some great fights In the American League And stuff like that And I think I think it's just One of those Got down to the United League And it's like I'm not fighting down here Like I'll fight In the American League But I'm not fighting Down here And I think that's Maybe I don't know I'd like There's another guy I'd like to get on the show Maybe I'll ask him Point blank That's probably the answer You'll get But uh but I know he was a tough dude, but uh, but yeah, like you said, Fort Wayne, uh, like what a history of toughness, though, in that team. You know, I said, Shit. oh, absolutely. They even got Stephen Fletcher's number retired for God's sake. You know, we got you yep. know Bizo and Kevin Kaminsky in that. You know, and oh, on and on.
2: They actually had a guy. Uh, his name was Colin Shawk. Yeah, he's not a guy who, if you weren't like a minor league fan, you might not recognize his name. But he played in Fort Wayne for, for 10 years, um, and he actually put up over 100 PIM in six of those years and was a leading scorer in, I think, four or five of those years. Well, hell, that season he had 152 PIM at 79 points. Yeah. And he would do that year in, year out. But what's funny, okay, so Fort Wayne moved to the ECHL, and Colin Schock got a job coaching – the ECHL team in Brampton, the Brampton Beast. So he chalk played in Fort Wayne for a long time. They retired. They were retiring his number when the Beast came to town. And when they went to lift Colin Chalk's banner to the rafters, they had uh, mounted upside down on the bracket. So for a while there, Colin Chalk uh, was hanging upside down in the rafters. Oh, And I know he,
1: uh, speaking secondhand knowledge, was was not very fond of that. No, I would, uh, yeah, you finally get your number retired. It's upside. Yeah, I'd be a little hot about that too. I'd be like, really? This is what we're doing? But
2: they had, uh, I remember they had a goalie. His name was Kevin St. Pierre. Big guy, hell of a good goalie. But in the offseason, I don't remember the exact story whether he was working for his dad or just on his own, but he actually had his pinky finger ripped off by, I think it was a wire stripping machine. Yeah. And he, he came back and he was just as good, if not better after that incident. I mean, that's, that, that takes some stones. He was a hell of a goalie. I remember that to this day. I remember that story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's well, the, uh, the, the final team in the Western division here is, uh, you know, finished dead last with the Missouri river otters. Um, of course, started uh, with Kevin Kaminsky as the coach, and then I think ended up with Jeff Brown coaching him after Kaminsky got canned. But, uh, yep. Um, well, we'll start at the very top with the team uh, legendary minor leaguer, and there's uh, stories abound, uh, Jimmy Duhart. I was, you know, I, that's a guy
2: who, no matter what team he played for, I love to watch him play hockey here at Quad City, especially when he was with Flint because, you know, he put up you know, seventy, eighty, ninety points and he could do two hundred and fifty Pim no problem. Yeah. And and he had no trouble tossing the gloves off either. But it was kind of disappointing because it was that was a year where he was actually pretty quiet in Missouri. They were they were an exciting team to watch. But I was I was kinda of bummed out that, you know, he just he wasn't the same Jim Duhart that I was used to seeing. But I mean he was also he was also getting near the end of, near the end of his career too. So I anyway, I can't fault the guy at all.
1: Yeah, that was his final year, actually. Yeah, just looking. Yeah, it was oh five. Well, he went up to the Quebec League for fourteen games, and I think he pretty much got run out of town there. And then he ended up back. Yeah, in Missouri. I don't. I don't think his game would translate well to the LNAH at that point in his career. I'll, I'll say that. Well, and I think there was a few boys waiting for him in that league that wanted to get a hold of him from his days in the United League that they remembered. And, uh, yeah, I know he didn't have a lot to say. He didn't have a lot of kind words about the LNAH when he got back. I know that.
2: I remember hearing about that. Well,
1: his his son is actually a hell of a
2: player. Um, I want to say he plays for Saginaw in the OHL. Dalton is his name.
1: He's, he's a hell of a player coming up, I guess. Hmm. There you go. Well yeah, I mean Jim I mean you could say I mean people could say whatever they want about Jim Duhart. I mean the guy was a talent. I mean minor league legend like no Oh, deal. absolutely. And that's that's another guy
2: who I mean that that's the UHL in a nutshell. Yep. A guy who would go out there, throw the
1: body, put up points and would still drop the gloves. No, absolutely. And uh well and it, it's, it's it's interesting looking at this team um well like you said you had Frank Littlejohn started there. Um, Brad McMillan, as you had mentioned earlier. Oh, man, he was he was tough as nails. That
2: was, you know, I didn't know much about him coming into the season, but we saw Missouri a fair amount here in Quad City because they were, we were the closest team to them. And, man, he was, they they didn't come much tougher than him. But, and he was like, he was one of those guys. He wasn't you know, a six-minute-a-game guy,
1: he would go up there, he, you know, he could play 12, 15 minutes a game easy. Yeah, well, like you said, you have McAway. And one guy that I wanted to bring up, um, uh, Dave Stewart. Oh,
2: <laughs> that guy, D- Dave Stewart is one of my favorite minor league hockey players of all time, bar none. He was an undersized guy let's see uh, pardon pardon me for one second um yeah 511 195 and i think that's 511 in skates standing on a stick yeah um and he would he would fight absolutely anybody uh he was actually in quad city the year before yeah. and i know he had well over 300 penalty minutes and he actually fought this he was the only player i saw that who managed that season to Get in sight on Trombley and just tie him up, and you know he he didn't he didn't write it out. He managed to uh, throw a couple punches too, but he managed to frustrate Trombley quite a bit. But I mean, this he was just so much fun to watch. He split the year between there and Flint. I want to say that was his last. Yeah, that was his last year. But man, he was he was tough as absolute nails. Yeah, the that's the guy who. He, I would love to hear some of the, like, the ECHL stories from him.
1: One of them old Maritimers, right? Anti-Kanish there, hometown. Yep. Yeah. The uh... And
2: I I just realized that he actually started his career in the UHL with the Thunder Bay Thundercats. I'll be damned. 37 PIM in the playoffs. I like it.
1: Yep. Yeah, one of the junior A guys from Alberta, then a couple of years in college, and then, ah, hell, let's go to Thunder Bay. Yeah. There you go. And, Man, they, uh, they they make them tough out there in the Maritimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't realize he had that many penalties. Yeah, was he, like 300, 300, 300. Yeah, he had like 200, 300, 300? Yeah, like multiple three hundred minute seasons.
2: Hmm. Yeah, and he was he he was a guy he would just beat go with anybody. He didn't care if they were you know six seven. I know he fought Varhog, who was you know as big as they come. Yeah, and he he wouldn't. I, I'm you know, I'm not going to say he was out there knocking everybody out. But as a fan, and I got to say, if I was on the bench, I see a guy fighting somebody who's,
1: you know, damn near a foot taller than you are, that's going to get you up. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. But, yeah, it's, just, it's funny when you look at this Missouri roster, you just, like, start scrolling. It's just, like, how many guys did they go through. And, yeah, it's, uh, you can always tell with the minor league rosters, it's like if you're scrolling and there's a ton of guys, you know it's a shit season. Yeah. Yep. And that, that was their
2: their last season in existence too. That um, they, they the, the the sad thing is is they played in St. Charles, and it's a beautiful little town. Like it is small town America. They have the, you know, the brick lined or the actual brick main street. You got the handsome calves going down through the little shops, the little breweries. The arena was set outside of town a little bit, and they were still pretty new, and they sat well over ten thousand. But that final year, when we went down there, well, we went down there a handful of times, you were lucky to see 500 people in that arena. Jeez. And it's, it's it's a shame, because uh, it, was, it was a beautiful building. And I remember they brought in Reed Lowe for a little while. Yep. And we went down there for one of those games, and there was like 3,000 fans there. I thought, wow, oh, Jesus, this is the biggest crowd I've ever seen here before.
1: Yeah, I remember, well, I had Nick on the show, uh, and he's a Missouri guy there, and I remember he was saying, like, anytime you could have any attachment with the St. Louis Blues, it would pop a crowd every time. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, otherwise otherwise they're not direct. Because it was, I want to say
2: it was like 20, 25 minutes from St. Louis maybe. Uh, which, it's, what's funny is I actually met Nick here in Quad City this past weekend. He yeah. uh, came up for the uh Southern League games. Yeah. Yeah, he had mentioned um, that. Yeah. But the uh yeah, it, it, it's a shame because it was such a like an idyllic little town. They had a casino there, which was fun. For two or three years in a row, um Quad City played down there on New Year's Eve, so we'd go down there, watch the game, go to the casino. And the only time they drew fans is when they brought in like a former St. Louis Blue. Yeah. Which I don't think, I, I can't speak from first-hand knowledge, but I don't think the Blues were drawing great at that time either. And it's a shame because you could come watch what obviously I think was more entertaining hockey. At the time, you could pay like 15 bucks and basically sit anywhere you wanted. Yeah, Drink your $4 giant Budweiser's and have a hell of a
1: time. Sounds like a plan to me, man. Well, you yep. had mentioned him earlier before, and I got to throw him out because uh, you know he played in the SJHL stuff, Western Hockey League guy, um, Steve McWade. That's a guy who I know. That our first conversation went off the, the
2: rails at the end a little bit about him. Um, I'm not a big fan of his. He was he was a big, mean, tough defenseman. He would he would fight fight a lot. He. He he did something to a younger guy in Quad City a few years later, so I'm not a big fan of his. Uh, but yeah, he was he was incredibly tough.
1: Well, you can't leave the folks hanging here if you're going to tell the story. You got to tell. Well, okay,
2: it. so th- there was there was a young a younger kid. He was he um, was actually his first year pro
1: uh, kid named
2: Corey McGillis. Um, he laid a huge open ice hit on one of MacWay's teammates who I believe was in Bloomington at the time. Um, and then the next game they played, McWay ran McGillis into the boards from behind with an elbow and ended McGillis's career just, it was a handful of games into his career. And I know even up this, actually I'm going to, so I have a shred of, oh uh, hell where is it there we go so it was, it was the 13-14 season um mcgillis was you know big tough kid played eight pro games um, and then was forced to retire after mackway run him into the boards from behind with an elbow and i know for years after that mcgillis had a lot of a lot of issues like physical issues because of that and it just it never sat right with me that he you know didn't Call call the kid out at center ice, make, make him answer. but don't don't run him into the boards from behind with the fucking elbow.
1: Yeah,
2: ended the kid's career eight games into it.
1: Yeah, that's gross. Yeah. That that never really sat right with me. No. Nope. Well, now we know the story. Well, see, uh, well, that, there's the the Western Division. Um, now. Of course, we'll go We'll go to the East Division here. <laughs> well, of course, everyone's, you know, the hot team, right? The Danbury Trashers, uh, of course, uh, finished in first place in the East. Uh, and, of course, lost in the finals. But uh, they start, this is their, I guess they were only around for two years. This is their second year in existence. Um, I guess this is kind of a unique thing. I, we'll kind of maybe go a little bit away from the, you know, the, the, the focus of, oh, it's got to be this season. Um, when Danbury first came in, are you guys just thinking, what the hell is this show going oh, on here?
2: Me and me and my buddies, especially my buddy Corey, we were so excited. Like, we, we bought in 100% to what they were doing. Yeah. And because we were so far away, we didn't get to see him very often. But we
0: were—they
2: came to town. I think they played—they played twice. One once the first season, twice the second season. And man, we were we were so pumped whenever they came into town. Because yeah, like I said, we we bought in a hundred percent to what
1: they were doing. Yeah, and it well, was. Well, I was gonna say as, say as like, fight it, fans, you got to be into this shit.
2: Like oh, never and mind and and what City show...
1: fans. Like you're a fight fan first. Oh, absolutely. And and the, my good buddy Corey, like he's not even
2: a huge fight fan. He's he's like a minor league guy. And I don't say this negatively at all, but but when Danbury came to town, it was like the circus was coming to town. Yeah. You know, they had so much around them. It was it was fantastic. I wish they had that kind of hype for anything nowadays, for any kind of hockey game or any sporting event. Like it was phenomenal. And the, you could tell the players, like, even in warm-ups, they had that the, the little bit of extra swagger because they knew, well, you know, we're living in beautiful places. We got an arena that has an NHL, basically an NHL-quality locker room and player lounge. And we're going to come in, we're going to beat you up, and we're still going to beat you on the scoreboard.
1: Yeah, we, we, were, we were all in on the trashers. Yeah. Well... Okay, so they come, well, obviously you would have saw them the first year, whatever. What, um, of course, initially, because uh, they only played 11 games the following year with them, but what was your impressions of, I mean, you got to ask, right, of John Morasti?
2: And see, you know, that's a guy who I had heard so much about.
1: Well, yeah. And
2: um, Quad City played in Danbury once that year in the regular season. So, I'm, so I said, All right, we're going to Danbury. I, I got to see Murasty in person. Um, and he, he wasn't the morasty that I had heard about, you know, the guy who would go out there and, you know, baseball swing somebody, you know, you hear stories about him, like he's the boogeyman. Um, he did not fight the game when Quad City was out there, not for lack of trying, but he was out there playing a regular shift too. Like he was, he probably got, if I had the ballpark, I'd park ballpark it at, you know, 10, 12 minutes of ice time. So he wasn't just some. Ten forward dummy out there either, but you could tell that he he loved his job. Always had that smile on his face when he was going. You know, he'd hack somebody and laugh about it,
1: and skate back to the bench and call him out. Yeah. Well, and then so for the well, and then so obviously you went to Danbury, and of course you hear about the you know what is it the what group is it one hundred four? What what's the section? Section so, section one hundred two. One hundred two. Yes. Well, wow. did you have any interactions like what was Danbury like when you went? Well, what's what's crazy is it's basically a practice rink that they built up on one
2: side to have bleachers and the other side of the rink was it was a practice rink like you could stand on the other side of the rink. And you know, I'm wearing my Quad City jersey and I'm I'm in the the gift shop and I I feel somebody put their hand on my shoulder and it feels like a a ton of bricks. I turn around and there's this massive man. And it was, it was the owner, Mr. Galante. And he stuck out his hand, shook my hand. He said, you know, I, I want, I want to know that I really appreciate you coming out here and supporting your team. Uh, he said, pick out a couple t-shirts. They're yours. I'm like, well, this is pretty, this is pretty cool. And he, and he introduced me to AJ who at the time was, I want to say he was 18, 19 years old. And AJ was as nice as could be. Oh, thanks for coming out! You know, it's it's awesome to see these fans from from so far away supporting your team. Yeah, just thanks for coming out. They they could not have treated me and my friends any better. Um, gave dad. What's funny is not to take a sidestep, but I I started thanks to you. I started the 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 UHL Legends Facebook page. Um and I got to talk a little bit with uh, with A.J. Galante again, and out of the blue, he's like, well, what's what's your address? I, I had mentioned that my dad and I and a friend had met him in Danbury years before. So he we said, well, well, what's your dad's address? And he goes, okay, and he, he sent my dad a T-shirt out of the blue after meeting him for five minutes, you know, 15 years ago, which I thought was just incredible. Excellent, yep. But all of the fans, like but when the game was not going on, everybody was as nice as they could possibly be. You know, there's, like I said, you go to a building, wearing another team's jersey, it's minor league hockey, you expect to catch a little crap. And there there was that, but it was it was good natured. But during the game, section 102, it was, it was a zoo. I don't remember who it was. Somebody went down and they brought up the body bag. And you could hear the chants throughout the arena, but it's minor league hockey. That's that's the kind of stuff that makes minor league hockey great. Yeah. That kind of passion, that kind of devotion. It was I if they could have that kind of passion for minor league hockey now, I think it would be just it'd be phenomenal. That's what's missing in well, hockey in general. Any kind of passion like that. Yeah. Yeah, I a lot of people had bad had negative stuff to say, but I, I will, I will not say a negative word about my experience at Danbury at all. It was, we, we were treated extremely well aside from, you know, just, just the odd layout of the building. It was a great place to watch a game. I, I
1: love, I I'd, I'd go out there and watch their federal league team now. Well, there you go. Well, another character on that team. And of course the former guest of the show, great guest on the show, and of course, everybody knows from the from the uh, documentary and everything else. Brad Wingfeld, what was he like when you watched out there? Oh, that was a guy.
2: Um, so I, I had seen him before, yeah. but that was a guy who, like, he was. People see his you know his PIM numbers, and I don't think they realize just how talented he was. No, oh,
1: tremendous player. Because,
2: yeah. well, one year in Elmira, he had what five hundred and seventy ish. Penalty minutes and thirty goals.
1: Yep.
2: So I mean, he could play first line minutes easy, but he was also you know one of the hardest hitters, one of the toughest fighters in that league, and that was the Josh Elzinga get back season too. So he we we went to Denver early in the season, so we didn't get to see him in the regular season. We saw him in the playoffs, but he was he's a guy he's he's the perfect minor league hockey guy. You know, he plays with the motion. We'll go out there, you know, he could score score a hat trick and get three fights.
1: Yep. Well, yeah. he
2: had, in in 36 games, he had 320, 10
1: Yeah. Damn near damn near 10 a game. Yep. Yeah, that, well. That, I
2: mean, that's, those are video game numbers.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and then, like, even on this team, I mean, uh, you're Ryan Barnes, Carlisle Lewis. Uh, McIsaac are all on this team. Uh, yeah, larock uh, um, Animal yeah.
2: was there. I think Jordy was there for a little while. Uh, well, they, they actually, you know, he, he's not a fighter, but a guy who I don't know that many people have heard of before. Uh, his name was David Alexander Beauregard, who when he was in junior, he actually, he was a, a Sharks draft pick, I want to say. He actually lost an eye in juniors. And he would go on to have a fantastic minor league career. I know he he actually played in Nottingham. I'm sure Searson knows him, knows of him. But with one eye, he had more skill than damn near the entire league with two eyes. Like, he was was a guy who no problems could get, you know, anytime he was on the ice, you knew there was a chance of him putting it in. And I just, you know, obviously it's your – we like to talk about the tough guys, but man, Oregard was so incredibly talented. And I think if he, if he hadn't lost his eye, he's a guy who could have easily played in the show.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's just like, yeah. And you, you look at the, at, at the, the roster. I mean, you know, he came, came there late in the year from uh, from Roanoke Roanoke. Yeah. He's got, he had 17 points in the 14, last 14 regular season games. Then come the playoffs, in 18 playoff games, he's got 23 points. Yeah, and it's, any
2: time he was on the ice, something could happen. And I listened to when um, Alec had AJ on. AJ made a point to say that was, out of all the tough guys, out of all the moves he made, bringing Beauregard to Danbury was the move he was most proud of, was the move he thought was most impactful. And for AJ to say something like that, it's it's you could tell the dude had talent.
1: No, absolutely. Well, and so when you're watching Danbury, like at that, that year when they came in, did you kind of know, like this is, like I mean, like I said, everybody watches the documentary, and oh, it's a goon show, whatever. But did you know they were that good too? Like, did you could you tell? Like, they, these guys could probably win it. Oh, absolutely.
2: Like, that's that's one thing that people don't talk about. Yeah, because, oh, they brought in so many tough guys and all this, which they did. You know, they, that was awesome as far as I was concerned. yeah. But, like, the, the skill they had was phenomenal. Like, they had, um, it was Drew, and I want to say Drew and Mike Omicoli, they were brothers. Like, they, they were extremely talented players. And, yeah. yeah, when they came into town, you knew that there was, they would have no trouble running up, you know, four or five, six goals. They had a goalie named uh, Sly Dagg. He spent a lot of time in Muskegon and then went to Danbury. But he was a phenomenal goalie, too. So you knew they were tough on the ice, they could score, and they had a great goalie, too. And it was, it was a genuine surprise to me that they didn't win the championship that
1: year. Well... um the fo- the following uh, well and then the next team is Adirondack and uh, the frostbite but uh, unfortunately the Mulletteers the, the <laughs> <laughs> they um well they started off and with uh, with a head coach uh, Mark Potvan, of course uh, you know did play in the NHL was an NHL tough guy and uh, American Hockey League tough guy uh, and unfortunately uh, he committed suicide uh early in the year so that's sort of uh kind of put obviously a a, a bit of a different start to the year um it did it was actually in in Kalamazoo before before a game on
2: a road trip um you know we, we discussed that earlier but yeah he you know it's 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 heartbreaking to say that you know a guy has no other option to do but that but it, that, it had to be extremely difficult for that team to come together after that.
1: Yeah, because I mean, and it's the thing is, and um, oh man, it's, it's, I'm blanking on who was on my show, but I've had a, I've had a few people mention like, you know, like they really liked Potbang, he was a good coach, like they got along with him, really nice guy, and yeah, and unfortunately, just you know, um, obviously had 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 issues, but uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, like you said, to, and to have the, you know, on the road trip and. Yeah, that, that's tough. But uh, so basically, yeah, Barry, one of those things where you, you you never know what what somebody's going through. Yeah. No, absolutely. And then of course, Barry Melrose had to was it, was Melrose part owner of Adirondack? He, yeah, he and uh, uh, ESPN
2: personality Steve Levy. They, I think they were fifty fifty owners. Um, what's funny is you know I, I, I call them the Mulleteers. They actually wore. Adirondack Mulleteers jerseys one night with Barry Melrose's caricature on the front of them.
1: That's tremendous. And Melrose coached one game for him that year as well. Yeah. And then Dane Jackson came in. But uh, I always laugh because that's the one thing I remember about Melrose. And I don't know if it was the, well, it's probably both years, but I think it might have been the first year. Because as a fight fan and stuff, of course, the Danbury thing, you know, this young kid, and the whole, I mean, everyone knows the story. Of course, it hits the message boards, and we're all like, what's going on? This is great. We all think it's awesome. But I can remember reading articles and, like, Barry Melrose, like, openly crying about Danbury. Yeah, and I, I didn't understand it because, I mean, it sounded like Barry Melrose was a
2: saint. I know. But, but yeah, he was, and he was he, on ESPN at the time, he had, such a huge platform and yeah like he was like he was extremely butter granted i mean they played danbury out there a lot more than quad city played danbury. yeah but just to hear the amount of hate that he gave him that's another reason why we were so excited to see him out here we're like oh we got to see this you know this guy you know barry melrose is hating on this team there's got to be something interesting going on here oh, and yeah. it's not like Barry Melrose had a team that didn't have its own fair share of guys who didn't necessarily have the best reputations.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. You look at it, like I you said, you're looking at his team right now. You got Blue Benfeld, Blue Benfeld, then you had Pierre Luc LeBlanc, and then Dave Ambler. I mean, it's not like he had, like, a Lady Bing team.
2: Right. And, you know, there's. I've not heard many, many players. I, I, I don't know the guy. I don't. I don't have an opinion on him either way, but I've not heard many good things about Blue Benefeld. But with both Excuse me, with both Leblanc and Ambler, those were two guys who were tough as they come. Obviously everybody knows you know, Pierre-Luc Leblanc. Yeah. He, he had that hell of a fight with with Tremblay where in my opinion it was it was pretty one-sided and even for you know he was he wasn't there for the longest time. He still had a, a hell of a run in, in Adirondack. Now, but we that, were... but David Ambler was a guy. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: No, no, go. Yep.
2: Um, David Ambler is a guy who I don't, I don't hear too much about, and he he was one of those guys where you know he, he spent some time in Muskegon as well. Um, when he was in Muskegon, he fought a guy named Brad Essex, who was incredibly tough great war between those guys um, but Ambler was was one of the toughest guys that I remember ever seeing you know he didn't put up huge numbers but he'd play those third line minutes and he'd shut down you know the, the top line of the other guys and if somebody got on line he had no trouble putting them down on the ice like he, he was an incredibly tough guy.
1: Yeah, he was always weird. A weird one for me because you know he's a he's a junior A guy from the Maritimes, so obviously never we never saw him, and then uh, you know played in the Central League, and then but then like you said, a couple years there in Muskegon, of course, um, you know going to the fight nerd talk here. But Muskegon was one of the few teams in the United League or whatever that the footage is out there, and there was a, right. there, was a there was a fight guy that was in the United League that was in Muskegon that would always make a team tape. So fortunately. You know, we got to see, at least got to see the Muskegon fights. So for the two years, and of course I had the DVDs, I'm sitting there watching, I'm like, who's this Ambler guy? Because he's like every second fight on the DVD, you know, because he had like 400 minutes in two years. So it was like, but yeah, um, he can throw down. Not bad, not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I was that, that was a
2: guy who I always wish would come to Quad City just because, yeah, he was that the kind of guy who would play a regular shift. But yeah, when he had to throw down, it was game on. It wasn't Patty Cake. No, exactly. but they also had a guy. They had a guy out there. He played. He played in the UHL six years. Wasn't, wasn't a tough guy. Um, his name was Hugo Belanger. Yep. Six years in the UHL, uh, all with that around deck. He had a hundred points in five of those years, and then ninety-eight points the last year. So, for all intents and purposes, hundred points a year each year. But you know, we're kind of going off topic here a little bit, or I am. Um, but you hear a lot of people talk about, oh, the the LNAH was was a bunch of dummies. Well, you get a guy like Hugo Blanje who hey put up damn near seven hundred points in six years, and then he went up to the to Sorel for two years and put up numbers in the
1: LNAH. So it's not like that league was just was was full of meatheads either. Well, yeah, I know. And that's the thing. And I always try to stress that on this show. And I've said that a bunch of times. It's like, yeah, like you said, well, he came home, right? He's a Quebec guy. Right. And then that was all said and done. I'm going to come home and, you know, probably get on with life. And then, but I could play a couple games a week in Sorrell, probably make good cash on the side. But yeah, like you said, 69, 73 points in 50 games of Sorrell that year. And yeah, so I mean, there's, like you said, 700 points. And, you know, there's talent coming there. It wasn't just all just dummies and fighting. I mean, there was. There was some, there was some really solid talent in that league, right? Yeah, so you know, kind of, kind of standing on my soapbox a little bit, but yeah, there was. I mean, it
2: was, it was a legit hockey league
1: up there. Yep. and I,
2: I just, I hope some of the folks who see it say, "Oh, you know, it was just, just a circus," where yeah, it was a circus,
1: but they played with a little black thing too. Yeah, and I think it also gets like, oh, it's a beer league. <laughs> no, it's not a beer league. Don't ever call it a beer league. Yeah. That's, you know, now,
2: go up there. You know, even, even a guy like like Hugo Belanger, who was he was not a tough guy, but I'd like to see ninety eight percent of the people who would say it's a beard league try to skate with him. No, they would. No, <laughs> they
1: couldn't. It, no, exactly. And it, yeah, and it's just like, yeah, no. When it when it came time to play, yeah, you weren't keeping up, and if it was time to fight, you weren't keeping up there either. So. No, you you weren't keeping keeping up there either. Yeah. But did you ever have a chance to go to Adirondack um one more time sorry buddy did you go to that did you go to Adirondack for any games yep we i i, I
2: it's in uh Glens Falls new yep. york and it's 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 a beautiful town it's up in the mountains and it's it's an awesome old school barn. when I was there, they might have changed it now, but when I was there, they had the wooden seats and it was just an awesome place to watch a game. You could feel the history of the building, yeah. And you know there was there was guys walking around with the old Adirondack Red Wings jerseys on. Um it was I'm really glad that I got to spend some time out there. And that's a place where I would have I would have no trouble going back. Even even you know I'd, I'd go on a vacation out there. It's it's an awesome
1: town, great fans. I really enjoyed my time out there. Yeah, well like you said legend like kind of up there with Fort Wayne, right? Like in terms of like legendary like, you know, they had the big run in the American League. the big American League teams back in the day. I mean, hell, Bob Prober played there, you know, and and all that. And then, yeah, like you hear, like, it's just one of those places, right? It's like one of those just legendary towns. It's like Rochester absolutely stuff, right? Yep. Yep, yeah, Hershey. You know, if there's just certain towns that are like, yeah, that's a minor league town. And that's, you know,
2: I went to a game in Hershey, and that that's a great point they they felt really really similar cuz you could just 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 feel the history and feel the passion of the fans that were there you know they've been going there you know grandpa took them there yeah so they're you know third generation fans have been going there for you know 20 30 40 years it, it's just a really cool place to watch a game if you're anywhere near there definitely go check it out yeah they're they're uh, Adirondack Thunder now I want to say in the coast don't quote take, me on that, but I think that's who they are.
1: I was going to say I'll take your word for it, but um, well, the following year or the following year, the follow another team, they didn't make the playoffs. But this is a kind of a really interesting roster that I want to talk to you about, and I've and I've had again uh, Chris Waltz, who briefly played, did a player coach thing. I know Robbie Nichols started off as coaching, and then Waltz took over at the and actually had a pretty good run at the end um, as a coach. Um, but the Richmond River Dogs. They didn't make the playoffs unfortunately. But uh interesting roster. Um uh and yeah, wanna, they were, I, and We didn't see
2: them a whole lot here, but yeah, I was I, I was pretty pretty excited when they came to town. Because yeah, they did have that that roster of they had a they had Matt Goody who I mean, he, Matt Goody was a bad dude. Who he, he threw absolute hammers out there.
1: Okay, we'll oh. see. Now, it's interesting because that's the first name I was going to bring up because I remember, again, uh, well, he was a junior A guy in Ontario. So, again, never never played major juniors, so never saw him. And then uh, and then it was the – I know he did a lot of fighting in – I want to say it was the precursor to the Southern Pro League, whatever it was. And then um, – WHA2 maybe?
2: Yeah. Or did, I mean, they They went through – like, different names, like, I go through Skittles.
1: Yeah, and then it was kind of, he bounced around and whatever, and then I think he was actually, well, now I'm looking at his thing, yeah, he did play five games in the American League. Um, but, big dude, I've, I've only seen limited footage of him. I was going to ask you, what what are your thoughts on Matt Goody? I never saw a whole
2: lot of footage of him, but I, I remember him, he came out of, Junior A in, and he came to Port Huron. Yep, and and he was a big kid, and he had no trouble with anybody, from what I remember. And then when he came to Richmond, I just heard a lot of talk. You know, oh, you big kid, big kid. And thankfully, I had a buddy who was he went to almost every River Dogs game, and he pulled a lot of the ones off the uh, internet broadcasts. And unfortunately, it was YouTube was kind of. Going on back then, but it wasn't what it is today. Obviously, so he would burn them on CD-ROMs and send them to me. And I, I know I have them somewhere. You need to but, find yeah, that. Shit, he was, huh? I do, and I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's in the old man's attic. I'll, I'll, I'll dig it out at some point. But yeah, he he had he would go with anybody. And he was, you know, he wasn't overly tall, but he was. It looked like
1: a refrigerator with a head. And he just threw hammers yeah like I always said I like footage is so limited right and uh, but I always heard like big things about them and uh, yeah just never really saw them. I I mean you go on YouTube I don't think there's much out there right and it's, so it's just like yeah um, I'd love to see more but uh, but yeah you had the Vandermeer brothers Dan and Bill on the team um, yeah and I forgot about I actually forgot
2: about those until I was doing the doing the research for the show. Um, I forgot they had a couple of Vandermeers.
1: Fans. Who it is,
2: a Vandermeer is going to be a tough dude. Even oh, yeah. if He's not dropping the gloves every game or every second game. He's still tough as nails.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, and then you had another guy, legendary, uh, Brian Goody. I mean, I think he was around forever. Yeah. And he he was around forever. And you know what? That dude,
2: he was he was near the end of his of his career, I want to say. But he would still play, you know, 25 minutes a game playing first first line defense minutes, but he would, he would put a guy through the glass. No problem. He was, he, he, from what I remember or what, what I took from watching him play is he was just a mean guy, but I mean, he was, he was as talented as they come. Yeah. At least from, from, from my perspective, watching, you know, the UHL, UHL double a level is he was one of those guys who was perfectly suited to this type of hockey. Yeah. They had a guy uh, named John DePace, who, again, is, it was a perfect UHL kind of guy who would put up, you know, he could put up 20, 30 goals a season, no problem. And then
1: he'd also put up 200, 240 penalty minutes a season, too. Yep. Well, and then another guy they had who was just a youngster at the time, 20 years old, you, you said DePace. Well, they had Pace, Joe Pace. And, uh...
2: Oh, Joe. Joe Pace, that's a guy. He actually he had played in Quad City that year too, the start of the year here. Um that is a guy who he still plays to this day. Well him and what is it, Schmidt there are fighting every night. Yeah. Yeah, but, cause they're going nuts down in, in in the Federal League. It's
1: awesome to watch. And it's not it's not patty kick either. Like they're going balls oof. to the wall. Oh yeah, he plays for the yeah the Port Huron Prowlers, so obviously he must live there. And then, uh, like I think he's played there for like seven years, and yeah, twelve. Yeah, he's, he's
2: player head coach at Port Huron.
1: Oh yeah, well there you go. And yeah, and he fights Schmidt like it's his job every night. I think they've had four or five fights this year already, and just like toe to toe insanity. But yeah, he's been in that federal league and that well when it was double A and then it was the federal league. Like he's been in there forever.
2: Yeah, Joe Joe Bates is a guy who I think. That that's a guy who I, I look at. And I think that's that's awesome. Because, well, was it his was it his rookie year? Let, let's see here. I apologize for not having his you know, the Joe Pace start. Okay, no, that wasn't even his rookie year. His first year was oh three oh four. Yeah. So he's been active for getting close to twenty years, and well, this season sixty four PIM in twelve games. As a yep. 37-year-old guy. So you can't tell me that he's not playing because he doesn't love this game.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and then, like, I'm just looking at this roster. Like, they had a tough team, man. I mean, you had Goody and Pace. They did. And, well, then RC Lake and then Dennis Mullen and sets there for a while. Like. Yeah, they had a, a guy named
2: Mike Wolf who was a, a monster yep. of a guy. Yep. Uh, they
1: had, oh, who was it? Who uh, is Ryan Van Buskirk. I mean yeah Van Buskirk, he was a guy who you know he didn't
2: he didn't see a lot of time too too much but man he was he was as tough as, as tough as they come um, they had a defenseman named RC like who spent a lot of time like in the UHL ish you know double a level who was was second know first or second pairing defenseman and he put up 100, 150 pim a year and was as tough as they come and that's the kind of guys that the UHL for lack of a term, that's the UHL made. I think, I think like still lives around there working with the kids, as a matter of fact.
1: Yeah, I believe so. Well, and of course, they had the leading scorer in the league on their team 61 goals. Mike, uh, was it Oliviera? Yep.
2: Uh, I'll trust your pronunciation, um, because mine's, uh, but yeah, I think it was Olivia, Olivier, Oliveira, Olivier, Olivier, whatever, whatever it was, but yeah, yeah. 61 goals in 76 games. Yeah. So, for a team that was
1: not an excellent team for a lot of the year. Yeah. And I, I, it seems to me, I mean, it was been so long since I had Waltz on the on the show, but um, I think they, they kind of came on at the end, but like you said, it was just a little too late. Well, like you said, he took over coaching and he was 20 and 9, you know, but he said, you know, they had a hell of a run at the end, but it was just too little too late because they didn't make the playoffs. But, right. Well, yeah. If I, I just pulled it up, yeah. Robbie Nichols started the year, which I mean, there's stories for days
2: about Robbie Nichols. Yeah, but yeah. he was he was twenty and twenty one,
1: and then Waltz comes in and it's twenty and nine. So Waltz is doing something right. Yeah. Well, he was playing, and then they I think they took him off, and he started to coach. Yep. Yeah. And man, God, God, he was he was as tough as Acom.
2: Yep. And they they brought in the guy he played you know, a polarizing figure
1: wow, I will all,
2: I'll, I'll, I'll stand on my soapbox I, I love this. I, I love watching this dude play I, I had the opportunity to get to know him a little bit um, polarizing figure but you know they, they had Brendan Tedstone on the team big show and man that's that's a guy who I, I have all the respect in the world for going out there you know obviously a big dude going out there and doing what he loves just just making the best of life that was that was cool as hell
1: yeah three games 27 minutes of course he had the infamous fight with big snake um yeah but yeah but i mean it was 300 pounds i mean that's a large human on skates man i was i was so disappointed because
2: uh richmond came up to quad City richmond was one of the only only the two places i didn't go that year Um, Richmond came up here near the end of the uh, season and Walt scratched, Walt scratched him. And man, I was, I was so disappointed because he, uh, uh, Mr. Tedstone, had told me before the game was like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to ask Trombley to go first shift. He's like, he's like, don't, don't miss first shift. I'm going out there. I'm going to ask him to go. So I was, I was pumped. I was ready. I was there. And then he got scratched and I was bummed out. Yeah, hell, hell of a nice guy. And you know, a lot of people have bad stuff to say about him, but if you get a chance to go out there and live your dream, no matter what it is, and you don't take that chance, you have no fucking right to say
1: anything bad about him. Yeah. No, man, it takes – yeah, like you said, it, it's kind of like a real Doug Smith vibe, right? Like Oh, just, absolutely. Yeah, like you just kind of – yeah, let's go. Like to to think you you know you just slap on skates and let's go out there and I mean you're gonna try to take like he fought Big Snake and you know he you know he went for he played in the Quebec League hell, he went to the Quebec League yeah. for God's sake you know like you know and when you're that big you're gonna be a target so it's like he's not right. hiding and it's like yeah unbelievable. Well, I,
2: he told me a story. He said, uh, "I want to say was Shabrook. He said they wanted to bring him up for the weekend, so he said, Well, I wanted to ride my Harley up there, so I set my gear up there. Uh, FedEx or whatever, and I rode my Harley up there and I parked near this like right up against the arena and there was a bunch of Hell's Angels up there and he then they said, Well, what are you doing here? He's well I'm, I'm parking my bike. They said, You you don't park here, this is our parking. He goes, Well well I'm I'm playing here tonight. We don't care. This is our this is our parking, you move. I said, So what did you do? He goes Well, I moved my fucking bike. What do you want me to do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That that, I'm, I'm a fan of. uh, I'm a fan of big shows.
1: Yeah. Well, like you said, it's. I remember, you know, and like I said, when the bouncing around the internet, that name comes up right, and especially at that time, and like you said, very polarizing, and, um, yeah. I mean, I I have no interaction. I mean, I have nothing for him. I mean, whatever. But, uh, you know, he went and did it. And, yeah, big dude. Big dude, for sure. I,
2: I remember um, after that game, when, when Richmond was here, Kern and Waltz were just screaming at each other. And I thought, wow, that, that'd be an interesting, interesting fight. You know, the Colonel the on the – on obviously the tail end of uh, – of his of his glory days and Walt's just, just coming off the ice. Man, I would have paid to see that one.
1: Oh yeah. Well, you know, they would have went for it. Yeah, for sure. That would've been interesting. But uh well, the next team here in the in the division of course is the Almira Jackals. Um, you know, down here for Almira this year in O five, oh six, you know, twenty seven and forty two. Um <clears throat> just well We'll get to his name in a second. We'll we we'll do the roster here first. But, uh, oh, okay. Um, again, like you said, it's one yeah. of those, if you're going to keep scrolling, you know it was a bad year. And they had a lot of guys in that team. They did. And that was,
2: you know, I usually look forward to Elmira coming to town because, you know, they usually had a pretty tough team. Well, I mean, they had Sean Legault and, and Brad Winkfeld running, running side by side for years. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was not you know it was a down year for toughness out there, a down year for performance. They had they did have Chris Mann, and yeah, I I challenge anybody to say a bad word about Chris Mann. That dude was entertaining as hell. But yeah, they they're, they're just, aside from him, you know, they had uh, Craig McDonald. Who uh, don't get me wrong, he he was tough in his own right. But it was pretty much Chris Mann against the world out there. And in the East, when you had Dan Barry and Adirondack, that was not an easy job.
1: No, I mean, I know they had LZ there for a little bit and uh, Brett Angel for a little bit. Um, you know, but they were just sort of, they were sort of right, it must have been at the tail end of the year where they traded LZ to Roanoke. But, uh, you know, so kind of a few guys in and out, but.
2: Yeah, and they, and, and they were they had a pretty tough coach too. I mean, Perry Florio was no was no pushover. He was a tough guy when he when he skated, but he, one of those guys where maybe he didn't want you look for the opposite of what you were as a player. Yeah, but I, I I did love. We went out to Elmira as well, and I did love. It was kind of a smaller building, but it was it was a great building. The fans were awesome out there. Good place to watch a hockey game, but yeah, it was. They didn't really have a whole lot to cheer
1: for that year. No. Well, and we kind of referenced him earlier, but there was a guy named Tom Clayton who played there, and he played yep. at Niagara University for a few years, and then Elmira, and then he finished out his career in Quad City. Um, well, we'll start first uh, before we get into what happened. Did you have any interactions with him being in Quad City at the end? I had no uh, – I he signed one of
2: my photos. I had Aside from that, I had no direct interaction with him. Um Later on, well, I'll let you. I'll let you get into. Yeah, that was my only direct interaction with him. I'll let you kind
1: of, well, I kinda mean,
2: reference I, or, or get well, into a story
1: from there. Well, I don't know what the story is. You kind of mentioned it on the side, and I was like, "What? What happened?" But I'm like, "Okay, well, we're gonna talk about that." But uh, like, okay, when he's finishing up in Quad City, like, I mean, you're you're a season ticket holder. Obviously, you know the season ticket people. Like, was there any indication with this guy? Like, he was like. He was, fucking he was, criminal, kind of, kind was of a fucking criminal or a rat type guy on the ice. Like, he, he would run his mouth,
2: wouldn't necessarily fight a whole lot. Yeah. Um, he did drop his gloves a few times. Um, but, yeah, there was no no indication from what I saw of
1: what was to come. That's yeah. for sure. Well, also, we we've, we've teased it long enough for the people. They're like, what are these two talking about? What did Tom Clayton do? Uh, well, uh, Tom Clayton is currently serving life in
2: prison um, in New York because he hired somebody to kill his wife and while Tom Clayton was at a poker game the person he hired to kill his wife broke into their house and like brutally bludgeoned her to death and he was you know he there was there's been you know a 60 minutes about it there's been a headline news show about it it's 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 definitely out there if you want
1: to learn more about it. But yeah, he... I I was thinking, as you're saying this, I believe I've watched the 60 Minutes about this. What's what's interesting is I had Out of the Blue, um, and I do not
2: remember which show it was. Um, I mentioned to you I still have his number on my cell phone. A producer for one of those shows actually contacted me directly and said, hey, I see that you have you know this and this on YouTube can we use those and do you have any photos of him so there's there's some of my photos and a couple of the YouTube videos I have of him out there from that I don't know if it was the 60 minutes or if it was the 2020 or what it was but you know my footage is in one of those shows uh,
1: how much well cuz this was his last year uh 0506 when did he kill his wife when did this happen um you know let me let me pull that up just I had it written down, and that is in the basement
2: oh um, I mean, uh, hell I mean give or take uh it was it, it wasn't right away I want to say it was like three or four years later, but yeah there was no obviously there was no indication that this guy is gonna gonna hire somebody for ten grand to Kill his wife, and he was hired to kill his wife and kill the kids.
1: Yeah, like I was just wondering, like, was he a dick to the fans just to begin with? Like, was he just a prick to begin with? Or, but no, like I, as far as I know, like the people who interacted with him
2: more often, they had they had nothing but but good things to say about him. Huh? Like he was, you know, he was, you know, good good in the community and. But I mean, how how do you see how do you see that in the offing? I guess yeah. Twenty okay, twenty fifteen is when it happened. So it would have been about about ten years, about
1: nine years later. Hmm. Well, there we go. There, there's a little wrinkle for the folks. Uh, yeah, that
2: yeah. Uh, like I I had texted you. I didn't know if you wanted to get into it or not. But it's it's definitely something that I think. Obviously, it's out there, but it's it's still kind of weird. I'll go. I was going through some of my pictures and videos last night, getting ready for tonight, and seeing the pictures of the guy, thinking, you know how how can some some person do that? Like yeah. it was, it's obviously obviously way out of hockey, but I mean, damn. Yeah. well he's, he's he's where he's where he deserves to be as far as i'm concerned
1: yep no absolutely well, the final team in that uh in that uh division was they were only around for one year the roanoke valley vipers and they were <laughs> not very good um they
2: were not very good at all that was the only other the only other arena we did not make it to which i would have i would have liked to go on there just just to say that i did. But, obviously, they didn't last more than the one year.
1: No, and I'm just, and like, again. And
2: keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Yep, yep. They, uh They did have a couple tough guys, at least for part of the year. Um, they had a, a, a guy, we can get into him for Flint, too. Um, but his name was Simon. It's either Risk or Rizek. It's R-I-Z-K. Yep. And And he, that dude had... Stones the size of boulders he would go with absolutely anybody might not have been the most talented fighter out there, but man, he was entertaining to watch uh he wasn't there all year, and they had a guy who bounced around a lot um and a guy who I always loved to watch fight was Charlie leasy yeah again dude, tough as nails. I have a picture in in hanging up in the basement of him fighting Kerry toporowski um just entertaining as hell. And I've asked a few, a few different guys about him. And evidently he was just the nicest guy off the ice, you know, bend over backwards for anybody. But yeah, he would, he would go with anybody too. But they had a cat who is a name, not a lot of guys will recognize who went on to be like a federal league legend, really undersized guy. But if you get a chance, go on YouTube to check him out. It was Chris Afanati that he's, you know, little little guy. He will fight would fight with anybody and man it was his fights were always entertaining as hell. There was not a whole lot of holding on during the
1: Afanati fight. It, it's funny, I have I have heard his name. I have had um I think I have some of his Southern pro fights, I think. I believe. But uh he actually we recently just started following each other on Facebook and i i i haven't asked him yet but i want to i think i'm going to ask him to come on the show i i think that would be uh it'd kind of be an interesting look cuz uh you know i i haven't had anybody from the federal league on and uh, you know and he's been down there forever um so i think that would be uh that'd be interesting to get him on i'm sure he'd have a few stories
2: oh um, yeah i would love to hear more about the federal league because that's not a league where you know i i've heard you know he said this guy said well this guy said that this guy said yeah but a guy who played you know 5 6 years in the league i think it'd be entertaining as hell well i you know, i think i think afanati let I mean, yeah he he even played two seasons ago so as a 40 year old guy he was lacing them up 9 pims in two games and then 103 pims in 20 games yeah you know he's listed as 5'8 170 i don't know that uh, from the videos i saw 5'8 eight might be a little generous, but yeah, he was would absolutely go with anybody. Entertaining as hell from what I've seen.
1: Yeah, like exactly. Like I'm kind of watching on YouTube. I'm like, yeah, this guy's wide open and going. I'm like, yeah, I got. I think I got to get this guy in the show.
2: Yep, he played six games for Roanoke that year. Two points, twenty two pins.
1: There you we go. Well, not, not a bad, uh, not a bad debut. No, not at all. Well, we're in the we're the final division here in the central division. Oh, I got to start at the top with the champs, Kalamazoo, uh, fifty-two and seventeen that year. Um, yeah, well, there you go. I mean, you've obviously uh, well, I mean, we talk about legendary towns. I mean, Kalamazoo—that's a legendary town for hockey. Um, what's uh, what's the barn at K Zoo like? What are the fans like? I know you've been there a few times. I you know that's. That's still one of
2: my favorite places to go. Um, My wife loves Kalamazoo. We're actually planning to go up there next month for a game uh, for the Grateful Dead night. But it's, I don't know that it's changed much in the last 50 years. They still have the wooden seats. You know, they, they have a video board now. But it's, the concourse is kind of small and cramped. But everybody up there was always really nice. Uh, it's it's just a great place if you want to get an old school hockey vibe. I don't know if you're going to get a better place than Kalamazoo. It's it's a great place to watch a game, um, and they they appreciate tough hockey up there too. Well, they had obviously they had Tyler Willis up there for for years and years. Yeah. He's actually getting his number retired coming up here in the next next few weeks by Kalamazoo. Which I thought was pretty cool. Absolutely. And they had you know they had, they had Nick Bootland up there for a long time too, who was you know. Both him and his brother are both pretty friggin tough,
1: oh tough and minor league legends, like points and minor league le- i mean minor league legends the bootlands, yeah, for sure, oh, absolutely, and you know i, I Nick
2: went on to coach up there uh, they had a goalie named Joel Martin who was recently inducted to the e c h l Hall of Fame who played in kalamazoo forever uh, just they there's so much hockey history up there, it's awesome to see.
1: No, absolutely, and uh, you said, well, they won the championship. They beat Danbury in the final this year. Uh, Jason Deitch leading the way, leading scorer, um, and then yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, 87, 87 points in one hundred and thirty-one penalty minutes. I mean, that's that's the UHL, a, per, a perfect snapshot of the UHL. When you're a leading scorer, will put up over a hundred hundred PIM. Hell, I don't know how many guys in the NHL have put up over hundred PIM now. I'm gonna guess there's. Maybe, maybe two or three. Let alone a team's leading scorer.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, heard a lot about him. Of course, he. Uh, my brother played college with him, so uh, I know about him. And then, of course, uh, yeah, like you said, Bootland. And uh, but I mean, yeah, wow. And then an old WHL boy, old Brad Church, the old man coming down there playing a little bit. Former, uh, you know, first round pick. That was. <laughs> I remember seeing him. I'm like, wow, this this guy. He
2: looks a little long in the tooth. I, I I had no idea who he was. I looked him up on on Hockey TV. I'm like, oh, I'll be damned, because I mean he could still move pretty good for an older guy. Like, wow, good for him coming down there, getting your ring with Kalamazoo. Yeah, yeah. There was uh, what they their their backup goalie was actually a goalie who played here in Quad City for a while, named Jeff Rayner. Um, hell of a nice guy. Glad he he got a ring as as their backup goalie too. But we went up there. The fans were always decent to us when we went up as Quad City fans. Um, we went up there. It was me and me and three or four buddies for the finals against Danbury. Um, I mentioned them earlier. My friend Corey was wearing a Danbury jersey. I was wearing a Danbury T-shirt that uh, Mister Galante was nice enough to give to me. And there was there was beer thrown at us, food thrown at us every single word you could think of was, was screamed at us like, wow, it was pretty, pretty quick turnaround for you Kalamazoo fans. But yeah, it was that that's the kind of heat that Danbury brought everywhere. They went even in a place as usually kind of relaxed and nice as Kalamazoo. Well,
1: one of the guys that could spark it and we mentioned it, of course, like you said, he's getting his number retired legendary Tyler Willis. I love Tyler Willis. Uh, you know, um, you—I mean, you watched him play for years. <laughs> what's from a fan's point of view, uh, while well, visiting fans' point of view, what's uh, what's your feelings, on old Willie? I, I, like you said, I, I love Tyler Willis.
2: That dude, I would watch play hockey right now. Like if he if he strapped him on and said I was going to come back and play one more game at Kalamazoo I'd go up there and just to see it. Because I mean, that guy he was he was the captain up there for a long time, um, and there was not many. Well, he, well let me bring it up real, real quick right here. Yeah, he over three hundred PIMs for three years, and over two hundred for another one. And he would go out there every shift, give it his all, try to put the guy through the boards, and he would fight absolutely anybody. Even though he, he's, I don't know if a lot of folks who aren't familiar with him know, but he was a little guy. Mm-hmm. Like he was, li- he was listed, he was listed at five nine, and that's a very generous five nine. And he, even if, when he was with like Booster in the AHL, he would go with anybody. Yep, that dude was fearless.
1: No, I yeah, I mean if you're a minor, yeah, I mean Willis is awesome, tremendous. Do you do you have any any stories about him from the Dub? Or any, any memories about him from, like, Swift Current? Yeah, a little bit. I remember, yeah, Swift Current. And then, of course, when he went to Seattle, we never really saw him because they're, you know, all in the States and they, they never came. But, um, yeah, I just remember Swift Current. Yeah, just same thing, right? Just he'd run around, always start shit, and it's like, who's this little bastard? You know, and it's like, who is this guy? And because uh, this is, you know, all pre-internet, right? So it's not like, oh, we can go look him right. up, right? So it was just like. But yeah, they'd come to too, and he'd just always be starting shit, and later on I would get the Seattle footage and you'd watch it, and like Seattle was just like, at the time Seattle just like had the undersized enforcer market cornered, because they had like him and then Dodie Wood, and then Paul Ferrone and then Chris Thompson, they had like all these kind of undersized, but like undersized, but could, you know, get 20 goals, 300 minutes, And but they were all tough, and it was just like, yeah, Seattle had like the market cornered on those guys, and yeah, no. Willis was tremendous. Yeah,
2: and for for his entire career, at least as far as I knew, I as far as I saw, I didn't get to see you know, the last couple of years of his career because Quad City went to the AHL. Um, for his entire career, he carried that all the way from juniors. Which man, that that's impressive as hell, especially for an undersized guy getting getting thrown around all the time. Man, that's that. Like you said, you know, how could you not love Tyler Willis if you're any a fan of any kind of tough hockey?
1: Oh, exactly, exactly. And it's
2: awesome that you know. I'm glad he's he's getting recognized up at Kalamazoo. And his number retired. That's that's phenomenal.
1: No, absolutely. That that's yeah, for sure. And I mean, I mean, definitely earned it. And uh, yeah, he uh, and like you said, to do it that long and to be like undersized like that and just like never back down and and like same thing when he fought. Right? It was like wide open fights, like take three to yeah it's not like he was he was he, yeah he wasn't seatbelting many people no yeah, it,
2: it was it was wide open bite down and just just chuck
1: yeah well the next And, and, th- well, and go
2: he's he playing a regular shift too oh absolutely playing, playing 15 20 25 minutes a game
1: yeah yeah no he's awesome yeah for sure well, the next team we had talked about it early with the Muskegon Fury. Um, I, again, another minor league town. Um, what was the vibe in Muskegon when you'd go up there? They were always. That was the only other arena that I would have a little bit of trouble in.
2: Um, there, there was not a whole lot of good, like lighthearted banter. There was there was a lot of, lot of anger and vitriol in, in Muskegon, but it was still a great place to watch a game and it was you know a, a really a, a good old barn um well i think yeah they're i think they have an always no they're the USHL team now um so they there's still hockey in the area they've had it for god knows how long but you know it was it was a good place to watch a game but man the the fury always had a tough team yeah and you can't you can't really talk about UHL UHL hockey or Muskegon hockey without talking about Robin Ducharme. Yep. I mean that's a guy he would put up 100 pin, or 100 points and you know 150 250 penalty minutes a season. And man he was as as an opposing fan that was a guy you absolutely hated to see on the ice cuz he would you would run his mouth and then he'd come down and just put one right past the goalie without even blinking. Just just the skill level there was immense.
1: Yeah, well, and it's interesting, like looking at the Muskegon roster for this year, I mean, they had a hell of a year. I think they actually led the league in, like, uh, it, well, I guess Kalamazoo did, but I mean, yeah, I mean, they were, like, right there. They had the second highest. Like, Kalamazoo had the most points, and then, like, Muskegon was second with, like, 109 points, 51 and 18. Because I was just looking at you, you got Bouchard, and then you have Jeff Nelson, 116 points. Todd Robinson, there's an old WHL guy from Portland. I mean, he would have, he had a couple back-to-back 100-point seasons with the, the Portland Winterhawks. Um, yeah, and that's a guy who, who doesn't get mentioned a lot. No. But he had
2: four or five hundred-point seasons in Muskegon. hmm And he was, like, just incredibly talented. It was it was awesome, though. Know, it was awesome and, and terrible as a visiting fan to watch him on the ice because he had so much skill. And, he you know, he'd be out there with Nelson and and Bouchard. And there's not a whole lot you're going to do against guys with that much talent. No, it was, it was, like I said, it was, it was great and, and, and terrible to watch. And, and Jeff Nelson himself, you know, 116 points. And he still put up over a hundred pounds.
1: Yeah. And then another kid that is Ryan Keller. I mean, I watched him and he's a Saskatoon kid. I watched him for the blades. He played all four, four years years, the blades um, big score game went down there in his rookie year. Forty-one goals, sixty-five games. Um, you know, actually a bunch of old WHL. Dave Van Drunen, You know, um, yeah, there's there's a guy who was, you know, he was he was tough as nails too. Yep,
2: but, you know, you know, tough, mean defenseman. You know, he step in, defend a teammate in a hurry. But man, he was those, those Muskegon teams were extremely, extremely talented teams. And well, I mean. When you got Bruce Ramsey as assistant coach, you know they're going to be tough.
1: Yeah, well, like you said, right? Lawmasters there, Ken Fells. There's a guy, Ken Fells. Yeah, that's that's not a guy. I hear
2: both both Lawmaster and Fells. You don't hear people talk about a lot. No. And Ken Fells wasn't Ken Fells wasn't a big dude either.
1: Nope.
2: But man, I don't know that you're going to find him much tougher than he was. Like you said, there's there's it's nice that there's some footage of Muskegon and there's not a whole lot of footage of Ken Fowl's getting put down. No. He was, he was not afraid to take one to give one. And we gave one, it was usually where two of the ones come back at it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And like you said, legendary team and uh, yeah, Muskegon. Well, this next one's interesting. Uh, Motor city. Um, (laughs) uh, I, I love, I love going to
2: I love going up there. So they played in in Fraser, just outside of Detroit. And it's it in it, Fraser wasn't bad, but Detroit is is I mean it's Detroit. Yeah, But go going up to Motor City was it was always fun even though it was kind of a cheesy arena. They'd always have they have like four or five other rinks. And for the mechanics games, they was they had one one tier of seats, and a big wide concourse. But then they put up like metal bleachers on the concourse. And the first time I went up there that year, there was a guy just he was he was drunk drunk off his mind, standing up on the bleachers just yelling at whoever he could see on the ice, be it mechanic or Quad City player. And he went ass over t kettle and bounced his head off one of those metal bleachers. Got up, looked like he was smuggling a softball on his forehead. <laughs> and I'll be I'll be damned if he didn't miss a beat. Stood right up and just started screaming again. I'm like, wow, that, that guy's that guy's got something going on. They put him on the ice.
1: Well, of course they were they were uh led by uh Brent Gretzky. Uh he had uh he had left he was in Danbury the year before and uh then ended up in, in Motor City. Um I mean you saw obviously you saw Gretzky quite a bit. Um he was a hell of a talent. Yeah, he was
2: like he had a, a, incredible talent. And people, you know, they'll joke, Oh ha ha, you know, Wayne and Wayne and his brother have the most points for any brother combo in the NHL, but what they don't realize is is, is Brent was in, in like an incredibly talented player. Yeah. And from all reports, like he was he was an awesome guy off the ice too. And it was I don't want to say, you know, like he was the UHL version of Wayne, but he like he was it was fun, generally, genuinely fun to watch him on the ice. You know, he played in Asheville, he played in Port Huron. It was it, so he got around this league quite a bit. But man, he was fun to watch on the ice.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, like what are you gonna do, right? Like what kind of shadow right. is that? I mean, that's not even a shadow, that's like an eclipse, right? Like you're not you're, Yeah, you're not you're not getting out of that. No, and like the other brother was pre- I can't remember what his other brother's name is, he was pretty good too. And I mean he played down in San he Diego. Did, and he, he coached him
2: in uh Asheville, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Now now we have to look that up. Yeah, what's his name? See, okay. see Wayne. Uh, Wayne. Keith. No, Wayne was his dad. Yep, Keith Gretzky.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. He coached him in Asheville for two years.
1: Yeah.
2: And man, he he had a tough team in Asheville too.
1: Oh man, I was. I mean, but I, yeah, they
2: were they were. That was was that was a guy who, you know, obviously. I, I like tough hockey. I, I, I've been on your show three times. You and I have, have have shot the shit about tough hockey for who knows how long. But he was a guy who wasn't tough, but man, as as any kind of hockey fan, you wanted to see him out there on the ice. Always were number forty nine. But yeah, he was he, he was fun to watch on the ice.
1: Well, another guy that was fun on the ice. Of course, I got to bring him up. Right, you know, the madman from Saskatoon. <laughs> I, Mad Mel Engelstad, what was your first impression seeing Mad Mel? Mel
2: Mel's last ride there in, in Motor City. Well, I had seen him, you know, years and years ago. And it was it was kind of cool because I remember seeing him as, as a younger kid in the Colonial League.
1: Yeah. You know,
2: with Thunder Bay. Yep. And if I'm not mistaken, that was his, his last season was that year. He started the year overseas, and then he came and finished it in Motor City. Yep. And obviously he wasn't—he wasn't the guy he was back in Thunder Bay. But man, he got a—he got a lot of room on that ice.
1: I would think so. Yeah.
2: There—there there was not a lot of people going up there and saying, "Hey, let's go." I mean, he still put up—you know—he had 142 penalty minutes in 45 games, so it's not like he was going—going going quietly into that night. But yeah, it was—it it, was—it was pretty cool. I remember seeing just the—the the last the last few games of his career was, it, it was, it was cool for me to see because that was the guy who, when I was just a little kid that I remember seeing him like, wow, that guy is, you know, he's, he's mean and he's strong and he, you know, he'll, he'll fight anybody. So it was cool for me to see him kind of go out still
1: near the top of his game. Yeah. Old, old Mad Mel. Yeah. Well, the, the, well, and then now we got speaking of, Pardon me, a legendary friend like the Flint Generals. That's um, a legendary town. uh, Another legendary kind of minor league team. I mean, I don't know how long the Flint, how long have the Flint Generals been around? I mean,
2: forever. I believe they've been they've been around literally forever.
1: Yeah, I mean, you
2: know, the the Bulldogs, the Generals, they've been around for a long time. Yeah, And people, you know, I, I went to Flint an awful lot and there's a lot of quad city fans. A lot of fans from other arenas that I talked to said they always had like Flint was the worst place to go to. All the fans were horrible. And, you know, I had a couple, a couple little run-ins up there, but I, I met a guy, um, uh, he sat behind, behind the visitor's bench was pretty much the worst, like quote unquote, the worst area you could sit in as a visiting fan. Um, I have a couple of really good friends from up there named Joan and Joel. They're married. Joel sat right behind the, the visiting team's bench. I got to know him pretty well. And one game, it was, it was that season, a matter of fact. Um, some fans were, were giving me and my dad some shit, and, and Joel's a big dude. He stood up and said, "Leave them alone. From now on, they're you got a problem with them, you got a problem with me." Like, oh, well, that's pretty cool. So from there on out I never had one issue in Flint. I I, I love going there. You you cannot get more old school hockey than Flint, Michigan, the old IMA arena. It wasn't that year, but I remember going there in the middle of winter, the chillers for the ice uh quit working. So they had to open all the outside doors in the arena to make sure the ice stayed frozen for the game.
1: Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I
2: I love love going to Flint.
1: Well, they uh... and there
2: it was it was a, a a little bit of a down year for them. They did they usually had that at least one that one or two you know nuclear deterrent guys. Yeah, and they didn't have that that year, but they had actually one of my favorite minor league players of all time named Jason Sellecky. He led the team in penalty minutes and still put up twenty goals and fifty one points. Yeah, just just an incredibly hard nosed forward. He would go out there, play play his guts out every shift. You know, throw the body, he could put the puck in the net, and he had absolutely no hang ups about dropping the gloves. And that's a dude who I wish would get a little bit more name recognition because man, every he was a UHL
1: guy for a long time and man, he was fun to watch. Well yeah he, uh, he had uh, well another guy at defenseman who I it's too bad he's not. He got tired of social media and he got off it. But I enjoyed talking to him at the time. I wish I could reconnect with him. I hope he's listening. I I know he he knows about the show. But he played he played for a little while in that league with Brent Curry.
2: Uh, he actually played here in Quad City too. Yes. Yeah, he was that was a guy. He, you could tell he genuinely loved playing hockey. He had a smile on his face even in the middle of a fight. He had a smile on his face. Get cracked in the skull, come back with two or three punches and still smiling. Man, he was he was fun to watch. And he was he was a Tough as they come too for, for a smaller
1: guy. He didn't back out, yeah. And I believe he is a firefighter now. In, well, I know he's a firefighter, I believe in De- Texas somewhere, but uh, yeah, because he had finished out in Laredo, so and it was around te- and he took the firefighting course while he was down there. But um, yeah, I'd like to get him on, but uh, yeah, he's an old BC guy, and then uh, yeah, Brent Curry, yeah, for sure, Brent. If you're out there, get a hold of me.
2: Get a hold of Darren. I want to hear your
1: stories. Yes, I know. How much you like you like to hear in Quad City? Oh, I was on a show. Playing with uh, Steve McIntyre. Yeah, well, I was on a show way back when, and uh, it's not he only was around for a couple episodes. My first kind of podcast I was ever on, I was a guest, and I had mentioned that I was going to be on this show, and it was like the guy did it from like a radio station, and you could like phone in. Well, Curry's like, well, what's the phone number? And he phoned in, and then me and <laughs> Curry and I basically like just took over this guy's show, and we ended up just talking about. And I'm like, this guy is probably like, who the hell is Brent Curry? Like, he didn't know who he was, but oh, Curry's telling like Link Gates stories and stuff. It was awesome. Like, he was hilarious, and I'd love to have him on because he had great stories. Yeah,
2: yeah, I've heard. I've heard that you know he, he's a uh, really uh, just a damn good guy too. I've not heard. Many bad words about Brett Curry. Yeah, Brett, get a hold of him. That'd be awesome to hear. Oh yeah,
1: no, for sure. Um,
2: but yeah, they uh, they didn't have too many like big names that year. Um, Simon Riz- Rizik, I mentioned him earlier. He actually played in Laval that year too. Yep. But there was a kid from Illinois down near Springfield who made his way around the UHL for a while. It was uh, George Cantrell played up at Flint that year too? There's not. I don't hear his name mentioned a lot, but man, that, that kid was, he was as tough as they come, but he started, he started that, that year in, in the LNAH. And, uh, go to YouTube on fourth line voice and search George Cantrell. You will see one of the, just, just one of the grossest sucker punches you're going to see when I'm I'm sure you don't, you know what I mean? That was Sylvain Blue and just,
1: just fucking dropped him when he looked away. You know, and, and for a guy like Blue Ann to do that shit, I mean, for anybody to do that shit with Bush, but for an NHL guy, and you know, and he didn't need to do that, you know, and it was just like he could have fought him straight up, and Blue End's a tough enough guy. It's not like he has to go around suckering people to win fights. Right, he, he waited waited till Cantrell looked away and just, I mean, that was, that was gross. That was ugly. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and I mean, I don't know if Cantrell, I don't know if he did anything to initiate it or whatever, but I know that Quebec team at that year was, like, yeah, I know they had a lot of issues with Laval, and, yeah, it was, yeah, it was just gross, broke his jaw, and it was just, like, that was it. I think Contrell was just, like, I'm out of here. This is fucking, I don't yep. blame him. He actually was... left left uh, left Laval, and then when he got healed up, came down to Flint, as a matter of fact. Yeah, but, yeah, that was, yeah, that was a gross cheap shot for sure. And, uh
2: but, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. If, if, you, if you get a chance out there you don't know who George Cantrell is, go on YouTube search him out. Aside from that Blue Ann fight, there's there's some entertaining fights with Cantrell out there.
1: Yep, big dude. And, uh, Played Missouri. Yep, yep, for sure. Definitely check it out. Well, the final team on our 2005-2006 uh, season ticket uh, kind of jaunt around the league was uh, Port Huron and uh Again, finished uh, last in the in the division. Um, but uh, did you ever make your way up to? Well, obviously you did. But what was your what was Port Huron like? That was you know that was the first time I ever went to Canada
2: going to Port Huron because across the border from Port Huron is Sarnia. Yep. Um, but they never had a bunch of fans. It was another one of those old school arenas. But it was it was a fun place to watch a game. They had the the glass that had been up for you know. 10 years if you were sitting on the glass you could barely see through it but it was it was a fun place to watch a game and all all the fans were decent up there all you know there there wasn't a whole lot of them but when the ones that were there were were nice as hell and that was another team they they had a fairly tough team that year too that was me obviously I'll I'll chuckle the name cuz I'm a child but but Steve Dix was he was a tough
1: character yep yeah well, they had uh... I remember yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: No, yes. they were. Uh, Port Huron was down here one time, and, and and Trombley was trying to get somebody to go with him. And after the game, uh, the Mallards had won, and after the game, there was a little a little get together in the far end of the ice, and Trombley did everything. He was like he was tearing through his own team and trying to get to Dix, who was probably go you know, three four guys deep behind him. But man, he was. I thought he was gonna. T- tear down the, the, the damn arena trying to get to dicks that night. Man, it was
1: crazy. Yeah, well, they, like you said, they had him and um, uh, Cam White. Um, yeah, White actually, uh, Paul Willett
2: was the coach to start the year at Port Huron, and when he got fired, uh, Cam White actually took over as head coach at Port Huron that year.
1: Yep. Uh, you love it. Well, like, how many teams have we done here this year that we're like, oh, you got fired, yeah. and then – Now this guy's not playing, he's, like, we had Waltz, and now you get Cam, and, um, yeah.
2: Oh, and and, and, then in Roanoke, as a matter of fact, the coach got fired, and uh, former NHL goalie for a while, who was on the team, Daniel Berthium, took over as their coach.
1: That's right, yeah, the Bandit, yeah. Um, Well, another guy that was on Port Huron briefly for four games, former guest of the show, Jordan Roach, 52 minutes in four games, yeah. I've, unfortunately I didn't get to see him play with Port Huron, but that's I mean 52 minutes in four games. How can you not love that? Oh yeah. Yeah, they uh only in the United League, right? Well, speaking of only in the United League, I didn't bring this up uh I will, well now I will. Um I as I was I was telling you before we got going, I'm looking and well, I started in Quad City and I look and I see the name Molly McMaster. And I'm like, okay, so Quad City brought a female into play. And then I went to the next team, and I'm doing my research, and I'm looking, I see Molly McMaster. I'm like, what is going on here? So I click on her name, and I I come to find out that she played a game for every team that year. So all 14 teams, and I laugh because she took a 10-minute misconduct in Roanoke Valley. Shit, even she wanted to get out of Roanoke Valley. Put 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 them. I love it. She put the mouth to the raft to get on the score sheet. I mean, that's 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 phenomenal. I absolutely love that. Yeah, she, yeah. So, okay. Um, what's the whole story behind it? And uh, did she actually like play? Like, did she get a shift?
2: So she she got she skated at least one actual shift with every team. Um, I know here in Quad City, she started played played the full shift. Didn't like jump off the ice right after the face-off. Um, but the deal was she had colon cancer, um, and she, she beat it. And to kind of raise awareness for colon cancer, she had played hockey, so the UHL brought her in to kind of raise awareness for colon cancer, which was you know, a great cause, obviously. And every team in the league, at least one of their jerseys, would they had a, a yeah, probably – about twice the size of a hockey puck, a patch was sewn onto all their jerseys, kind of a stylized uh, ribbon. But what's funny is wherever she went in the league, she was sponsored by Fleet Enemas. So there was just this huge (laughs) enema superhero called Eneman walking around the arenas. And when you walked into the arena, they gave you a little stuffed toy Enema superhero of man. and I still have that to this day. I I dug it out of my I dug it out of the box. Yeah. Put it in the basement. My wife has not seen it yet. She's she's on you know she's on the road for work. So when she comes home for work, she's going to see the, the the little stuffed Enema, and I'm kind of curious of her reaction. <laughs> but yeah, it was obviously a, a fantastic cause. Um, just I don't know that you're going to find that somewhere other than the UHL. And that's that's why I love this league so much. It was it was every bit a circus as it was a talented league, and man, it was fun to watch.
1: Well, I mean, like you said, you got superheroes out of enemas. They're handing out toys, <laughs> which you still have, which is tremendous. I love the which fact I, that you, have. I, I love the fact that you save like all that trinkety shit. That's hilarious because I would be the same. Oh, you,
2: you and I have talked about that before. Just, just that that sideshow carnival shit is. I love it. Yeah. Well, in, in Quad City, they gave out voodoo dolls of the other team. They gave out a Jim, du- basically a Jim Duhart voodoo doll. Um, one time when Danbury came here, it was take out the trash night, and they gave away like little tiny plastic uh, trash bins, sponsored by one of the local trash companies and it's that's the kind of stuff you're you're not going to see anywhere else but minor league hockey.
1: No, absolutely. And I've always said with the, I when the NHL goes carny, it drives me I hate it. I hate when professional te- when like well, I guess it's all professional, but you know, when a major league does like right. carny shit, it drives me nuts. But I'm 100% behind it when a when a minor league team does it because that's what it's all about and the more carny the better crazy jerseys oh, absolutely all that stuff i love that shit anima superheroes awesome <laughs> i love it where else we on
2: on one other podcast are you going to hear two guys talking about anima superheroes with
1: their own stuffed toys exactly like you know yeah yeah well I just, like yeah exactly and it was just but just stuff like that, and it's just like, I always regret, I mean, it was, it's always cool that we had like junior hockey here, and you get to see him, you know, you get to see him as kids, and, and watch him develop, and you can watch him in the NHL, and all, Wendell Clark, and all that stuff, and it was all, and it's cool, and I, I love old, I mean, I don't watch shit anymore, but the old Dub, watched a million games, love it, the old junior, S yes, Saskatch- the SJHL, junior A, love it, back in the day, but I always, I always regret not being able, not having a minor league team around here. Because I think that would have been awesome. It is, and it's. I'm so fortunate that I was able to see, you know, see
2: such great, high level minor league hockey, but had had that toughness in there, and then you had that carnival atmosphere. Because yeah, you're you're just not going to get it. You're not going to get it anywhere else. And it's 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 that's why I think I, I enjoyed it so much is that it's it's an all encompassing thing, and I don't think these. The teams nowadays realize that if if they did, they you know they up that carny factor a little bit. Is you might get another you know hundred, two hundred, three hundred fans in the game, just just by making fun of yourself just a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, it's that, and I think, um, the rivalries. Like if you can, oh, like absolutely. there absolutely. There was absolute hatred with some of these teams.
2: Yeah. Well, you would you know you'd see the same players on the teams for, well like, like Robin Bouchard, like Jim Duhart, you'd see him you know five six seven eight years in a row, and yeah there was you'd have the same guys on your team five six seven eight years in a row, and yeah there was there was genuine animosity there wasn't any of this bum taps let's go work out in the summer bro, there was like Carey Toporowski putting icy hot on his glove. And giving Robin Bouchard a face wash with it, yeah. Like you're not doing that unless you have a genuine hate on it or something.
1: Did did you in Help. all your? T- I mean, I know we're gonna bounce like off the 05-06 or whatever. But I know you're fairly like vocal. Do you ever get into it with like opposing players? I not not that I really remember.
2: Um, when I was younger, you know, a, you know, a young teenager, you would know, you lip off to somebody, but as you as you know, you kind of get older, you, you, you get a respect for those guys who are going out there every night, and it's, you know, they're putting their bodies, they're putting their minds on on the line just for something they love, and you have to respect that. Yeah. No, well, even like like a guy like Duhart, who you know people around here hated. Well, hell, Jim Duhart got. A fan in Quad City leaned over the, the rail when Duhart was coming off the ice and, like, dropped a hammer fist on the top of his helmet. And that same year, I'm like, Duhart's out there. I, I want to get a picture signed by him to put him on my wall someday.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's like and it's like you said, they were around for so many years. Like, it, the league had its villains, right? It had the Duhart, the Bouchard, the Willis. I mean, you had these guys that would come to town, and it was like, yeah, we're paying money to see our our guys get this guy, yeah, and i I'm sure you know fans of Muskegon and Flint
2: and Kalamazoo hated you know Kerry Toporowski or Gary Goulash or Mark McFarland, who were here for years, and you know they were they were their villains, like Bouchard
1: and Duhart were our villains, yeah, and there's you know you're not going to see that anymore, no. No, and it, not to that level. I mean, like, yeah, you might have a guy there for a year or two. But I also think, especially with the minor league hockey, and I don't want to say minor league hockey's dying because that's a little dramatic. But, I mean, like, I think you don't have guys staying around as long anymore because, like, I just, the money's not there. And it's like... Well, you get a lot of these leagues, like the
2: Southern League and the Federal League and the, e- the ECHL, where they're they're so promotion forward we want to say we're a developmental league so we're willing to push guys up
0: yeah
2: where you know they have in, in the, a perfect example of the southern league they have a three vet limit a vet is a player who's played more than 200 games yeah but at the same time you can only have cumulative 800 veteran games played so i mean you're an older guy you've played six seven years Fine, you so why you're going to play for that kind of money when it's either put my body in line for that or go get a real job yeah
1: and, and it's, I've, and it, it's a,
2: sad that you don't see that
1: yeah and i mean i've never i mean what i've never it's not like something i've ever really looked into or questioned or whatever but i just i never understood the veteran rule i don't get it i don't know why leagues would want that i mean would you not want older guys to stick around and like you know, at least if they're there for a while, like like a Bouchard or whatever, like your homestead, and you stay there on this team for six, seven years, would you not want season ticket holders to have that? Like, I don't get it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and you know they
2: they I think don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that Robin Bouchard sells sells cars in or around Muskegon. Uh, Kerry Toporowski is is a financial advisor here in Quad City. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't understand why you would want as as a league. You would. We. I would assume you'd want your teams to succeed. So you want to give them as many tools to succeed as you can. So limiting the kind of players they can bring back. Well, a, a perfect example is here in Quad City. Now we have a an SPHL team. And a big draw for a lot of the fans is you know you you, you get to know the players. Yep because let's be honest there's not a lot of guys that are going to go from the SPHL to the AHL or NHL it's just it's just not going to happen so i don't understand why you wouldn't want to bring those guys back for 3 4 5 years but when you got the veteran rule it prohibits the team from doing that
1: yeah and it's just it's a rule i've never understood why these leagues do it and i mean i don't know it's just you're just driving guys away which i don't why you're, well, and that, and it's like a good veteran talent's better than a good rookie talent. You know I mean? Oh, absolutely. So you're making, you're weakening your product by bringing in, yeah, okay, it's a college kid or it's a kid right out of junior. He's going to make the rookie mistakes and it's his first year pro and whatever. Or you could have a veteran guy who's 30 years old, 31, that is just going to, you know, I mean, I don't, yeah, you're weakening your product. I don't understand.
2: Right, because what's gonna what's gonna suffer is you know the, the bottom, you know say, say the bottom six players. There that when those bottom six players on the ice, when they're out there, just for the fact that they don't have the experience, they're not going to have the, the the skill, the knowledge that the top half of the roster has. So for a third of the game, you're not going to see that same skill level out there, just for a veteran rule.
1: Yeah. I don't know, man.
2: Well, that, that's th- why I like the UHL because they had, they had a rookie rule where you had to have a certain amount of rookies on the team, but they allowed, they, you know, they allowed, I think it was either seven or eight vets. And the vet number was, it was, pre- it was
1: see, now I'm getting in trouble because I don't know exactly, but I want to say it was like four or 500 games. Oh well, yeah, but going through that roster, like there's thirty year old dudes on there that when we were going through it there, so yeah, so clearly you were allowed a lot of games, yeah, right. So it's
2: I, I just don't I just don't get it. But hey, you know, you and I don't run a hockey league, so so maybe our opinion doesn't matter as much as we we'd like to think.
1: No, we're just
2: at the end. we're, We're just two guys talking about a season that hopefully people care about.
1: No absolutely well and I you know hey man I appreciate you like you said we did two hours here and uh, talked about the uh, a, a season that was you know important to you and 05-06. And I hope people enjoyed taking the ride and talking about maybe we brought up some names that uh you haven't heard never maybe heard of before or you haven't heard in a long time and uh, you know it was fun to kind of bounce around the league and talk about certain guys in different places and and uh, you're you're a, hell, a heck of a tour guide. So I really appreciate you coming and, on again. Well, I appreciate you having me on, and yeah, it's well. I want I want to say
2: thank you for you because you you inspired me to start the uh, the UHL Legends Facebook page, where yes. I've got messages from all over the world of guys saying, you know, I remember watching this player for years. I thanks for the memories, or a player getting a hold of me saying, I haven't seen a picture of me playing for twenty years. Thank you for doing this. And I wouldn't have done that without you getting the ball rolling. Because yeah, Dan, who played you know played three seasons in the Central League, the guys at the shop don't care about that. But there's people out there that actually do and love to hear that name and give you know give Dan at least a little bit of a smile that somebody's talking about him again. Absolutely, yeah,
1: no, and, and I, uh, you know
2: it's, there, there's a lot of people out there. I don't know if you hear it or not. Um, you don't hear it enough. I do know that. There's a lot of guys out there that really appreciate what you do, what Alec does, what Joe does, um, and we we really appreciate that. And you know, it's it means a lot to a lot of people. Even if you know you say there's you know, 15 people listening, there there's a lot of people who appreciate what you do, Alec and Joe do. It's it, it's pretty great.
1: Well, I appreciate that, and, uh, yeah, no, and it's, like you said, same thing with your Facebook page, it's always, it's really gratifying when you get the, when you get from the players. I mean, it's always cool from anybody, you hear from anybody, but when it's a player, and, you know, especially, I mean, you're with your pitchers and stuff, and a lot of times they have kids now that have never, you know, they just look at dad who's, you know, bald and 50 pounds overweight, they didn't even know he played hockey. Well, all of a sudden, here's a picture of him from, like, you know, 1998 with a mullet, and he's flying, you know, and, uh, you know, so to be able we have to give... a, a perfect example. I got a message from a guy who said I played six games at Roanoke in
2: 06. Um, I have no pictures of me playing pro hockey at all. Do you happen to have any pictures and I had I happen to have like four pictures and he was over the moon happy. And that's it, it's it's so cool to me that I can, you know, put a smile on somebody's face and bring those memories back to him as well. And then, like I said, I
1: I I have you to thank
2: for that. I appreciate that, man. I really well, do.
1: Well, hey, I thank you for sharing the pictures. I mean, I know I bugged you a lot of times for pictures, and uh, uh, yeah, no, the fact you're taking pictures and there's old video around, and no, anytime you can help these guys out, because like I said, a lot of times the like you said, the players don't have anything, right? So um, to to be able to to offer them that and to to give them that after you know the entertainment they've given us, right? It's uh, oh, yeah, absolutely, but, yeah, that's what it's all about, and uh, and that's kind of that was the genesis for this show was with that idea in mind and uh yeah so to be able to go down your memory lane and uh hear the stories of the united league from 2005 can you man can you believe that 17 years ago like that's i don't know. like to i don't like to think about that i like I to know. Think that i'm still like you know 26 27 in my prime
2: not that uh the big four all rolled around but i appreciate you throwing that in the end yeah that's uh That's a nice parting thought. Thanks, buddy.
1: Well, I, I I got seven (laughs) years. I got what six years on you, man. So hey, yeah, no, uh, yeah, I know it's kind of hard to believe, but uh, yeah, it was just. uh, But yeah, it just seemed like yesterday being on the message boards and on fried chicken and everybody talking about the Danbury team and Murasti and Winger and all these guys. So to uh, you know, man, seventeen years, where'd it go? But uh, yeah, that's that's no kidding. Yeah, well, there we go, folks. There's our, our episode one of the season ticket series, as we're going to call it. And uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And uh, I don't I don't know what we're gonna what I'm going to do next and who I'm going to have on, but uh, it's a hell of a start. And I enjoyed this, and this was a lot of fun. And uh, we've talked for hours, and I think it's time to go eat some supper. So uh, I will let you go, man. But Jared, I Jay, I appreciate you coming on once again. Yep, thanks, Darren. I I appreciate it.
2: And uh, go enjoy your supper and tell your better half I said hello and thanks for the time.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while
0: that was on?